What's good, y'all? What is good? Hope everybody is well. Shout out to you. Happy New Year. Hope everybody is doing their thing. Uh, we are broadcasting on a different night. So um, my apologies. Uh, last night I was having some work done here on the house and it was way too loud just across the hallway. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to do a show. But uh, we are starting to get a slow trickle of people. Um, so I hope people uh, will catch this because I think it'll be an interesting one. Um, what's up, BGS? Uh, shout out. Thanks for coming through. Uh, Tim, what's going on? I think we got a good one tonight um, that I will get into in a quick moment. In the meantime, let me first start uh, by saying welcome to the Onyx Report where we as black male justice advocates uplift black men and boys using critical analysis. And uh, we're gonna delve more into that tonight. What's up, JJ? What's up, Freddie? Cameron, what's going on? We got people coming through. Um, and yeah, this is a good one. So anyway, let me uh, first start by thanking my subscribers. And if you're interested in supporting the show, please subscribe, All right? You can do that right here on YouTube. Go ahead and click the subscribe button uh, right next to the join button. And I hope you will entertain joining and becoming a member of the Onyx uh, report. Uh, you can do that right here on YouTube as well. Click that and there are options for what type of support you can engage in. You can also support through Patreon. Uh, and the information uh, is right there on the screen, how to find the Patreon. And you can go ahead and support the show that way as well as support the Institute uh, for Black Male Studies. So, uh, check those out and support as you so choose. We appreciate it. In the meantime, shout out to my subscribers. Here we go. Thanks again to my subscribers. I hope you guys will, uh, for those of you who aren't, uh, will take some initiative to do so. Uh, like the video, please. Share, subscribe, join, and donate so we can build the channel. Um, I'm coming off uh, my little winter break vacation, kind of trying to get back in the zone. So I'll be getting back to my daily videos quite soon. Um, so please support the channel so we can do that. Um, yeah, let me see. So there's a one, you know, one quick thing I want to jump into, <clears throat> excuse me, before we delve into the subject. And we're going to delve in a little quicker than usual for my channel, because I actually have um, two special guests tonight. Um, and we are going to we're going to be covering a, a topic that I introduced last week, a concept that I introduced. And we're going to be coming at it from two very different standpoints. So I hope you will participate in that. In the meantime, very quickly, I do want to um, acknowledge uh, something that jumped off this week. Um, oh man, yeah, I closed the link. Let me open it up. I had it on the screen. 
I think I cleared it off by accident, but it won't take too long to pull it back up because I just want to shout something out real quick. Uh, let me see where to go. Bop, 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 bop. Come on, come on, come on. Just got through watching. Uh, appreciate that support, Tim. Thank you. Black men for hashtag black men first. I ain't mad about that. That's real. BM1. Um, just got through watching Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby and let's do it again. Had to go back, watch one of the flicks I grew up on. Um, so I was laughing at that earlier. And your boy just got uh, kind of walk in tub installed. So I will be spending quite a bit of time in there starting tonight. And I might even bring in a pillow and a blanket in that bad boy. So y'all hear a brother drown. You know why? Because I'm about to relax for real. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, you know what we do here on the Onyx Report is alongside dealing with the negatives about black male life, uh, the state of affairs for black men, even black male vulnerability. One of the things we also do is celebrate black men and boys and their achievement. And we frame this in terms of hashtag sacred black masculine. That is a series that I pretty much do weekly. Appreciate that. that uh, appreciate that, Durante. Thank you. Um, you know, I pretty much do these weekly, but it's organic. It depends on how things cross my desk. So for today, uh, what I want to acknowledge is something that uh, is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. This gentleman right here, you can find this article on patch.com. Um, it is dated last year. And I don't know if I acknowledged him before, but I still wanted to do so even if I have, just because this is the kind of thing I like to support. Uh, this is a young 13-year-old brother who began at Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech Aerospace Engineering Program. Um, so he's 13-year-old Caleb Anderson uh, started this past fall uh, as the youngest person and youngest student enrolled at Georgia Tech. And this is uh, in Atlanta, among the thousands of students to start school Monday at Georgia Tech. This is dated in August of 2021. Um, uh, for the first time was 13-year-old Caleb Anderson, the gifted aerospace engineering major, began this semester as a sophomore, years after wowing his family by reading the United States Constitution at age two and starting high school when he was only 10. As colleges and universities recruiting, um, and admissions officials across the country came to learn of Anderson's brilliance. He had but one place he wanted to be in college. That dream was realized Monday when he stepped into his first Georgia Tech class. He says, uh, this is the kind of school I've been wanting to go to for a very long time, and I'm finally here. As the youngest student on campus, Anderson's parents, Kobe and Claire Anderson, were there Monday to offer support and bear witness to their teenage son taking this remarkable step. As they watched him, they beamed with pride while balancing both worry and reassurance. This is an article, as I said, on patch.com. It's entitled 13-Year-Old Begins Georgia Tech Aerospace Engineering Program. Shout out to Caleb. Congratulations, young man. That's the kind of example we definitely want our kids to, uh, to see, you know, straight up. So I'm proud of them. But as I told you, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time uh, getting into uh, the groove. We only got 49 right now, so I'm hoping some more people trickle in. A lot of people might have to catch this on the replay because this is not my normal night. And I'm not sure YouTube really put up most of the advertisement for this. But last week, I introduced the concept and talked at length about it. Had a great discussion 
with a couple of good brothers, most particularly Keep It 100, who's in here in the chat. Uh, Y'all support his channel. What's up, man? I hope Marcus as well. And BGS. And we talked about what I call um, male relationship emotional labor. And I went into some description about what that is. And let me uh, reintroduce you. Uh, basically, what it refers to is it provides uh, myriad forms of emotional security to varying degrees for women in general, be it intimately, publicly, socially, institutionally, and or politically in terms of policy. It is a hidden relationship expectation alongside money, sex appeal, sexual performance, and black male gynocentric servitude. It is the masculine counterpart to the socially expected female gender role of providing nurturing and support in relationships. It is our most sought after resource as is part of our as it is part of our protection uh, dynamic, despite that it's often not acknowledged by women or men publicly. So what does all that mean? Well, in a nutshell, it just basically means that the, the role we play to sacrifice ourselves to protect um, uh, women in particular in regard to relationships and most particularly their emotional well-being is a sacrifice that we are often not given credit for. And it is also the measure by which we may find ourselves out of a relationship if we don't provide it, even though we've never been trained to. We're not acknowledged for doing so. It's virtually ignored. It's, it's rarely mentioned. And yet men were coming forth in droves to tell me how they've experienced the expectation of providing emotional labor uh, without training, without any outright conversation, but still measured against it. Now, what does that mean? It's kind of like it's kind of like if you were going to start at Georgia Tech and yet the you know when you got there your entire grade was based off of how well you did in art class you're going to Georgia Tech expecting to do engineering but all of a sudden you know your art grade determines whether or not you even get to graduate that's kind of what men experience in regard to emotional labor we're expected to do it Nobody tells us how to, nobody asks us to do it, but we can find ourselves graded by how well we do it, even though it's not been formally introduced as an expectation. And so as you guys can see in last week's show, men came forward to talk about the ways in which they experience these expectations, despite a lack of acknowledgement for even doing so. So tonight I'm gonna to bring on two people. For the first half of the show, we're gonna talk to Brother Sarah. He's been on my show before. I've been on his very good brother who deals with relationship counseling. I'm going to let him introduce himself to you. And then later in the broadcast, we're going to bring on attorney Dennis Sperling, and we're going to talk about male relationship, emotional labor from an entirely different standpoint. So let me bring on the good brother. What's up, man? What's up, brother? Hassan? Doing fantastic, brother. Thank hey. you for inviting me to the show. Oh, man. Thanks for coming. Uh, you were... You, you and I spoke um, not long, well, we spoke before and after my last show, and you had some, some thoughts and some concerns about emotional labor uh, that I really wanted to get out. What's up, uh, uh, Green Gorilla? We got Green Gorilla in here. Brother Ian, as usual, appreciate the uh, work, Ian. Brother Malika, see you in here. So we're getting, a, we're getting our full house in here. But um, introduce yourself, uh, please, or reintroduce yourself, and uh, talk a little bit about your response to this issue of emotional labor. Okay. So the first thing that I do is I'm a spiritual teacher and counselor. 
my objective in spiritual teaching is to show people how spirituality helps us to get to know ourselves, to understand ourselves. Okay. From a relationship counseling standpoint, I do that from the spiritual aspect to basically demonstrate how relationships are an extension of the process of coming to know oneself because in a relationship, the relationship partner is a mirror which exposes and brings to light the issues that we have that we were not aware of mm. that invariably come up when we're engaging with someone in a relationship. Okay. That said, it's the responsibility of the individual to recognize the issues that each of us have individually. Okay. Not pointing out the other's issues, huh. but to identify one's own issues and then commit to doing the work to overcome those issues. Mm -hmm. So when we talked about the, the show after the last show, you talked about the, the imposed responsibility yeah. that men have for being caretakers of the emotions of women. Yes. Absolutely. Being emotional anchors, all of that. Yes. Yeah. So I, go ahead. No, no, I was agreeing with you. Please continue. Right. So I, I took exception to that point because it is not any individual's responsibility to be caretakers of, of anyone's emotions. Mm -hmm. We can support them. Mm -hmm. We can be soundboards. But it's not our someone else's emotions are not our responsibility. Now, see, this is this is interesting because two things at the at very at the very least occurred when I started talking about this. First, like I said, men came forward talking about the ways they've been pressured, measured, graded, and even dropped based on how well they performed this emotional labor. But then I also had, and I didn't expect this. I had a number of women, particularly on Twitter, that were celebrating the idea and were trying to say, oh, well, we 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 would appreciate that. I would support that if my man did that more. And of course, I even had a couple that came forward and said, you know what? My husband has been doing this and I actually never thought about the fact that he's been doing this and you just helped me appreciate him more. But you're saying this shouldn't be something that we should aspire to. Talk a little bit about the pressure you've seen or experienced where men are expected to do these things, even though you're saying they shouldn't have to. <laughs> I'm sure every man can relate to having to deal with things such as having the expectation to, to, be, to read their minds, to know what they're thinking. <laughs> and <laughs> uh <-huh>. yeah <laughs> so you can relate to that i, I can oh, yeah. tell by the way you're laughing right 
oh, okay, she needs flowers. I mean, but yeah, that's what it is. Right. And um, you might, there's a, I think there's a Snickers commercial out right now. And I just saw it the other day. Mm -hmm. The Snickers commercial and and the brother comes into the room and his woman is sitting on the couch looking out the window and he comes into the room. (laughs) I do remember (laughs) that. And he says, what's wrong? And she uh-huh. looks at him and she says, nothing. And then she gets, she cuts her eyes at him and looks back out the window. The brother knows he's in for it. He's in trouble because he's supposed to figure it out. And he's, he's in trouble because he, he hasn't. So he's going back to have a Snickers because he knows that he's in for drama. And that is a perfect description of an emotional labor. Like she's requiring that he do some type of labor that he has to just divine and figure out what it is and no guidance. But the measure of whether or not he's a good partner comes down to, in a lot of people's minds, especially the way women are socialized, comes down to how well he figures it out. Right. Absolutely. But you're saying that it should go another way. What, what exactly should men do instead? Okay, well, so there's a number of things. So that's that's one thing we just described, being able to intuit or divine, you know, what was wrong, right? Uh, we're supposed to be good listeners, and, and listening is fine. Uh, we're supposed to to give them comfort, we're supposed to make them happy, right? Okay, mm-hmm. now that's, that's the primary thing that I take exception to because one is no one's responsibility to make another person happy. Mm. Secondly, it's impossible to do so. Oh, so when I teach my relationship seminars, I point out that the, that is one of the primary problems in relationships is the expectation that it is your partner who is responsible for making you happy. Right. In the paradigm of the society that we're brought up in, however, it's not a two way street. Therefore the, Happiness falls almost, I'd probably say 95% in the lap of the man who's responsible for making the woman happy. Mm -hmm. And again, as I pointed out, it's not a two-way street because it's not even taken into consideration whether the woman is making the man happy. Mm -hmm. His happiness is his problem. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and you know what? One of the best examples of that is the holiday season. Routinely, I hear people talk about what men got people, kids, women, wives, what they got them for Christmas or whatever. I can't remember the last time I heard somebody talk about what gift a man got. I can't remember the last time in terms of anything actually you significant. Know, significant. 
You know what I mean? I might hear is a slight complaint. And I talked about this on social on uh, Facebook right around Christmas. I was saying this is not something that I've had men, uh, you know, verbally upset about. I mean, many of us have just grown to accept that this is just the way it is. You're going to get a $5 tie for Father's Day and for Christmas. That's the end of the discussion. But or if some we socks. Or some socks. But if we take it deeper, what we're really saying is there is no social expectation that a woman prioritize even trying to make men happy, even though what you're saying is that it's not possible anyway, either way. But the onus is on men to do this impossible task and we're measured based on how much we can achieve it. And she has no expectation, no social expectation to even attempt to do it. Not at all. Not at all. So I'm sure that we just we don't have to go back far to mm -hmm. come up with stories about women who have left their men because they could they didn't make them happy. There was just something was missing. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. I'm finding someone else because he's not, he doesn't make me happy. He doesn't do it for me. Right. And real quick, shout out to Art Newsel. Good to see you in here, man. Y'all support Art Newsel's channel. Um, but go ahead, man. Please continue. Yeah. So that's been, that's been socialized in, in, in society at large that men's role is to make the woman happy it's in the fairy tales yeah oh yeah it's in commercials yeah, yeah. it's in the movies it's in the love stories that, that that women typically read it's very perfectly characterized in the song that anita baker wrote which is actually called fairy tales Mm. You know, and I encourage people to listen to the to the lyrics of that. But that's exactly what the situation is. So it's the the expectations that are placed on particular in particular men that it is their responsibility to make their women happy. Mm -hmm. that ends up being the root cause of why there's so much difficulty in being able to maintain a relationship. Yeah. And it seems to me that this is more acute in the black community where the expectation is the man is supposed to make the woman happy. Mm. Now, when I talk about how that ends up becoming an expectation, I described it in my relationship seminars as being akin to being a drug addict, right? So someone initially starts taking a drug. Yeah. The first time they take that drug, they have the most significant effect from the drug. And yeah. that feeling will never be duplicated. But from that point on, they're seeking to, to attain that same level of euphoria that they got the first time that they took that drug. Mm -hmm. But the effect of the drug wears off over time to where it doesn't have the same, the same effect as it had. Right. right. But 
but the individual is always continually seeking to find that first high to have that same effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's what causes the addiction. Similarly, when people have that expectation that that love and happiness is going to come from someone else, they'll have that initial initial hit of euphoria of happiness that like a drug will never ever come again mm-hmm. but there's that expectation and hope that, that it will and they're looking for that same sense of euphoria yeah. and so the effect wears off just like, like with drugs mm-hmm. and so no matter what you do you will never be able to bring that same feeling back again. It sounds like uh, what my brother in the comment section, Broken Blade, he called it the Kobayashi Maru, the impossible scenario. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm familiar with that term. Yeah. So it's it's completely impossible. But, and so I'm, I'm sure a number of men can relate to feeling like they're running on the treadmill chasing after something and never getting anywhere in their pursuit to try to make their woman happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My, uh, Attorney Sperling actually refers to what I'm thinking about. He calls it a simp chip, uh, something that we have been, you know, programmed as black men to have uh, many since birth, especially if you're Gen X. And one of the difficulties is breaking out of those practices, those those kind of knee-jerk uh, trained responses where your sole existence is about making women happy and, and breaking from that. And, and it, can, it can present itself in so many different ways. It's not even limited to just romantic partners. There's a brother in the comment section that said, I'm not sure, and I'm paraphrasing, said, I'm not sure what the first part, how the first part of this show is going to relate to me because I'm single. But I would say it's actually extremely important because if you don't address the way we've been trained to think about relationships and our roles in them, you're gonna, you know, it's very tempting to go back into that initial programming of just doing what you were taught, especially, you know, if you were raised in a dynamic where you had majority female family members around you. Um, and, and this becomes important because it goes back into this dynamic of relationships being this impossible task that only one person in the dynamic, usually male, does to please the other, even though it's impossible. And yet we know one out of two marriages end in divorce and 70 to 80% of those divorces are initiated by women. So this idea about making someone happy has just shattered many of a family's, uh, you know, stability coming down to this very philosophy. Any thoughts about the relationship between this type of emotional labor and families, form, form, being able to even form families if you don't engage it properly. Any thoughts about that? Well, first off, I want to, to go back and broach something that you've just brought up mm-hmm. before you ask that question. One of the dynamics that you, you brought up, which ends up feeding into this cycle, is the fact that there are so many in the black community, men and women, who've grown up in in female-headed households. Mm -hmm. 
And to the extent that that is the case, we're being brought up by a woman who is embittered because of her perception about her experience. And I said perception about her experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that bitterness often shows up in how they communicate to their children. Okay. Both the girls and the boys. In the boys' case, however, it's is even they can even sense some some resentment, and so because of the resentment that they have and they're feeling that their man failed in making them happy, that the male child gets programmed with the idea that their father failed in making their mother happy. Mm-hmm. And so in order for them to be a good man, right, they have to make sure that they exercise the utmost effort in trying to make their their woman happy. So to address the the comment that your caller had, you know, being a single man, it's extremely important mm-hmm. that he have a different paradigm going into being in a relationship because if he goes into a relationship with the perception that, that it's his responsibility to, to, to make his woman happy that relationship is going to inevitably fail because it, it, it cannot he cannot do it uh-huh. it's impossible uh-huh. okay and so what's important then is that when men are approaching and dating women that needs to be a screening tool you know so when we hear someone discussing uh, if you hear them talking about um things like blaming other people for their feelings, um, being victimized in the past. People made them mad. People made them upset. Those are red flags because it's a sign that they're not taking responsibility for their own emotions. They're not taking responsibility for their own uh, position in life, that they're blaming. And so if that is the type of dialogue that you're engaging with a woman, that's a a harbinger of what's going to happen when you get into a relationship. Mm -hmm. Because all that blaming and victimization is going to be focused on you. Mm -hmm. Right. Whatever negative emotion she's feeling would be your fault and in order for it to be changed is your responsibility to change it. Right. You can't make them happy. You can't change their emotional state. Mm -hmm. But so having that expectation is just setting, setting oneself up for failure. Yeah. 
if you accept that. And I've and I've been seeing I've seen this with you know married couples that have two, three, four kids, and she's leaving him because he doesn't make her quote unquote happy, but she's now gonna go find someone else who's going to make her happy. Meanwhile, how the kids respond to this, what it does to him, none of that matters. It all comes down to her not being happy. And the reason is he failed at figuring out how to do it. And yet nobody ever seems to be able to come after him and do it. You know what I mean? At least not in any for any extensive period of time. What are your thoughts about that? When you see when you see families breaking up over this idea. Well, what what that brings to mind is a high level of selfishness Mm -hmm. where the only consideration is her feelings. She's not considering the feelings of her husband. Obviously, she hasn't taken into any uh, any consideration about what she's doing to make him happy Mm -hmm. and whether or not to make him happy because that's impossible. But to to do the things that 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 he likes, that he wants, because everyone has wants and needs and preferences and things like that. And so you naturally want to do things that are pleasing to your mate, but also realize that they're not they're not going to make them happy. Right. Okay. so usually the discussion about those things, you know, this is what I want. This is what I want. Too often it's one sided, just focused on what it is that she wants okay and so if you're a man in this situation and you're just spinning your wheels running on that treadmill one you're getting frustrated because no matter what you do you're not achieving that objective secondly after some time you're going to start to become resentful Mm-hmm. Because you've exerted all this effort, and there's nothing coming back to you. Check this out. Now, first, uh, let me shout out Cedric uh, uh, for the Cash App. Appreciate that. KMK. Appreciate that. Um, Broken Blade. Uh, appreciate that. Here's an interesting one, and I appreciate uh, Orange Pill Nurse for the the donation. But check this out. He says, "When I got married at my wedding." Um, Family family on both sides made remarks directing their statements to making my, and he says this in the next post, my wife happy and that they would get me if I don't. Mm-hmm. No one did say, no one did say anything about what she should do for me. And I remember those same experiences when I got married. Everything was really centered around what made her happy. Um, and that even leading up to the marriage. I mean, I don't care if you're talking about getting a dress or renting a place to have the wedding, everything, they would sell to her and they would only talk to me when it came time to pay for it, right? So everything is geared around that. But like he's saying, even when you get to the wedding itself, it's still geared around making her happy. And well, I look, man, I, I'll even take that, take, take that further into my own personal experience. Uh-huh. My mother's family kidnapped me and my sister and took us to took my mother, me and my sister to Virginia from my father, Mm. kidnapped us from our father Mm. because she basically told them that he wasn't making her happy. Mm. So 
didn't matter. It's not necessarily an idle threat, but yeah, that is the expectation. But see, what what never comes into consideration is, well, this is a relationship. So two people are relating to each other. Right. So what's happening is not happening in the vacuum. Mm -hmm. Okay. If a man is not getting the things that he wants, right. That's going to end up affecting his behavior. Right. He's not going to want to do those things as much anymore. One, because it's not making any difference. Two, there's nothing coming back. Yeah. You know, the universe is about karma. You know, and so you get what you give. Right. Well, I can say, I can say, well, two things. One, backtracking a little bit, what I was going to say earlier is that in my own family, one of the things I noticed is the women in my family would actually, when I was newly married, they would, they would call my wife to see how I was carrying myself. I've never been married before. You know, I, I thought I would, you know, hey, how's, how's, it, how's marriage going? No, they would call my wife to see how I was behaving. Was I making her happy? So this and you said this is your family making these calls? My family, yes. Okay. So her family is letting me know, hey, you gotta, this is what you gotta do, which I understood. But I, I was tripped out to see my family would even do it. So this is something that comes from all kinds of directions. Well, yeah, life. but okay. But it's your family asking how you're doing. Your family is supposed to be advocating for you. Right? <laughs> no, they prioritize her, her feelings as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But what's the dynamics in your family there though? Well, it would, predominantly women. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see how that's reinforced on both sides in that way. In terms of what it what it how it actually shapes our thinking around the very idea of what a relationship is, right? Because you know, going back to what we were saying earlier in terms of you know being raised with single mothers, you know um, they really in, in many situations condition young men to be the men that they always wanted. They can they condition their sons to be the men they always wanted. Absolutely. And pass you off to who you who you get with, but the 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 focus is still on how does your presence please her? What does it do for her? So you still have that kind of framework in place. Absolutely, that's absolutely true. You know, and those are some of the things that we have to actually be able to think differently about. And I'll give you another example as well because. You know, when we talk about relationships, just as we're doing, we also have to bring in upbringing and family, right? So this is something that happened very recently, I'd say in the last week. Um, this is rapper Jim Jones. Mm. Uh, you had a chance to see this, but he was doing an interview, and that is his mother picture mm -hmm. him, and he talked about the way he learned how to tongue kiss. And initially he said his mother showed him by example and by example, she didn't kiss somebody else. She actually tongue kissed him as a young man. Later he cleaned, he tried to clean it up and say, no, you know, that's not what I meant, blah, blah, blah. But you don't say that kind of thing accidentally. That's not something that comes out of the average person, let alone a celebrity. 
it, so I don't I don't buy the cleanup. But the reason I bring this up is because when we talk about emotional labor, especially for men, the job of providing that labor, particularly to women, because you provide emotional labor for a lot of people. We provide it for our children, grandparents, you name it, grandchildren. It, it is part of the human dynamic, but particularly in terms of men and women. For black men especially, we learn to provide this early in life, and often it is to mothers. Now, this isn't about his desires and his wants and his thoughts. This was about hers. She was the adult in the dynamic. This was something she imposed on a young, vulnerable boy. So much so that even when he told this story, he didn't present it as an abuse that he experienced. He presented it as a matter of fact, you know, kind of thing. Like my mom taught me how to wash the dishes kind of thing. That was the way he kind of introduced this experience. And I think he was even shocked at the blowback he got from people when people were saying, wait, that's problematic. Well, but, you know, I, I think what's significant about the fact that he didn't, it didn't register to him that this was a problem. Mm-hmm. I think what that points to the fact is that it's common place. Yes. Okay. So in the generation that he came up and I would suggest that in prior generations, this was not uncommon, Mm. Mm. which is why he was so comfortable in being able, being able to discuss it like that. Uh And so he was taken aback by the reaction because, you know, from his standpoint, this was, this was normal. Yeah. And I, and I can't say that I'm surprised by it Mm -hmm. because I'm very sure that it happened in my family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've heard of it in other people's families where, if it wasn't their their mother, it was maybe an aunt or an older cousin right. who did that. Right. Right. Now, one of the things we know, especially if you look at Tommy Curry and Ebony Utley's paper, She Touched Me, which came out, I want to say, over a year and a half ago. Uh, they, they did observe that, you know, for black males' sexual debut or, you know, just another way of saying when black males lose their virginity, uh, more often than not, they are losing it to older girls and women in a manner that I would actually call, uh, 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 how would I put it? it? It's alarming. And at the same time, it's damn near an epidemic. If you read, she touched me and look at the data, it's damn near an epidemic, but it can be an epidemic because there's not a lot of pushback for sexually violating boys, especially by women. There is pushback when it comes to girls' vulnerability. So you have it happening on both sides, but only one side is really called out. But the reason I bring this up is is not just to highlight on the vulnerability, which I think is important, but to ask the question, what kind of labor, emotional labor, are these boys being saddled with? See, that's the other question that nobody thinks about. It is important that we look at the vulnerability of boys and men, black boys and men. But it's also important that we ask the question, what exactly is the emotional labor being put on young black boys when it comes to sometimes grown women who are projecting onto these boys emotional needs that these boys are decades away from truly understanding? 
in situations that they shouldn't have to be in, which I think prepares us for the kind of emotional labor we're expected to do later in life. But when it comes to boys, what are your thoughts about that in terms of these grown women's projections on them? Well, it's an interesting dynamic because the women who are engaging in this behavior, they're selling it to them and, and giving themselves the rationale that they're doing the child a service. Right. Teaching them how yes. to yes. engage with, with women. And so they justify it from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't really even come off as though they're doing anything for the woman, although, you know, obviously they're getting something from it, mm-hmm. you know, but they've deceived the child into believing that they're, they're being done a solid right. by teaching them that. Right. And the women who are, who are doing it are justifying it to themselves by appeasing their own conscience by convincing themselves that they're doing, doing them a favor. Service. Yeah. Right. Right. And so now how it ends up manifesting itself in the, in the child when he grows up, it could take a number of different uh, manifestations. It could end up resulting in, in sex addiction. Um, Absolutely, sex addiction. Addiction. Absolutely. Yeah, one of the things I talk about as well, and this is kind of touched on in the in in Curry and Utley's paper as well. When you're violated at that young of an age, you know. One of the things it does is it even reframes how you process pleasure, how you process the very thought and engagement of intimacy and interaction with a woman. So what what those early experiences were, you know, and, and sometimes it can take therapy to really reveal um, how it impacts you. But it often plays in a manner into how you even process what pleasure is. So you may find that certain things turn you on certain things don't turn you on and you may think it's just whatever but it actually can stem from those early experiences because the data shows us that boys experience the same type of emotional trauma as girls when it comes to those situations but we're processed we're told to process it differently girls are told to process it in terms of being violated boys are told to process it in terms of what you described you got you got some you got yours i mean i've even had boys that I used to work with in programs who had been violated by grown women. And when they themselves tried to go to the police, this actually occurred in Philadelphia, tried to go to the police. They were told right there in the police station. What are you talking about, kid? You got some, get out of here. You got Mm -hmm. some, that's the way, you know, that's the way they're told to process being violated, even by women, grown women, family members. Mm -hmm. And then, psychologically it goes back to 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 the topic of the being of was it emotional support emotional, emotional labor providing because labor, yeah what what they're being sold is this is what you need to do to please your woman and i'm teaching you this yes. so that you'll know what to do yes yes absolutely okay. and so it's placing the burden still on the on the young boy at an early age that 
part of his responsibility is to bring pleasure to women. Yes. And I think I think you're hitting on something that's extremely key in terms of how we're socialized to process sexual pleasure in particular. In many ways, and I've gotten this from a lot of black men, we you, you have people that process sex, as you would think, just from whatever they're experiencing. But we are uniquely socialized to process pleasure strictly in terms of how much pleasure we bring her. Um, I posted a couple weeks ago uh, some data that came out about how much time people actually have sex for. And you'd be surprised to know, or most people might be surprised to know, the average for how much time people spend actually having sex came somewhere between three and 10 minutes. When I was growing up in the 80s, the way we had experienced interactions with girls, particularly older women, and the way we as young men talked to each other, we didn't measure sexual prowess by minutes. We measured it by hours. This is how we were taught that sex should be. And it wasn't really, you were supposed to get yours based on how much she enjoyed hers, how loud she screamed, whatever she did, you know, who she told, what she said about it. All of it was geared around your sense of manhood being framed around how much pleasure you could give her. Not even how much pleasure you yourself felt. Mm -hmm. I can tell you how many men would tell me stories about really what even whether they ejaculated or not not necessarily enjoying anything in particular other than the fact that they could say well i pleasured her and that was it any thoughts about processing pleasure and because you what you do you a lot of people may not know you actually um you work with people people contact you you, you provide uh how would you call it, counseling mm -hmm. you provide counseling sir from from the men that you've counseled, have you seen this this kind of processing of pleasure having been interrupted by these kinds of, of emotional labor type experiences? Have you seen that in the people you've worked with or in your research? I would say that there's probably not any man that I haven't spoken to who haven't had this issue. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there isn't any, you know, because of because of what we just talked about. That's that's been socialized into us. It's been it's been socialized into men that, particularly black men, that is their responsibility to to make their women happy. And and you know, and as we talked about before one of the strong dynamics and unfortunate dynamics in the family is that in our families is that our families are li uh, largely matriarchal. Mm -hmm. And so that perception is being programmed into us at an early age. Yes. You know, and so then we're talking about, you know, being tutored in sex by uh, a family member, right? that reinforces that perception that it's our responsibility to, to give pleasure yeah. to our woman. You know, I can even recall when I was, when I was young, adolescent, you know, I would pick up my mom's cosmopolitan books to look for secrets mm. that I could pick up, you know, mm. to be able to please, please women. Yeah. You know, and, but yeah. it, that was in, you know, that ended up being, being my approach, you know, that I made sure that, you know, just like you described, 
that, you know, she was satisfied, you know, you, before I even gave any consideration to, you know, to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so when I'm counseling men in dealing with relationships, one of the things that I always point out is that first, you know, we have to establish our own criteria about what we will accept and what we will not accept in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay. You, we have to look for certain things in women and have some, some red flags that, that basically draw the line of demarcation so we can choose, you know, adequately, you know, yes. we just, we can't yeah. just accept anyone, Yeah, you know? And so, and if we do, we run the risk of being put on that, on that treadmill and, and not gaining anything from the experience. Yeah. You know, uh, it ends up just being a one-sided affair. And so either you give up on any hope of having a positive experience and basically, um, become a vassal for your wife Mm. Mm. or Mm. you look for someone who understands that is a relationship and that both of you are supposed to give and receive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But more often than not, the expectation is for us to give and for them to receive period. Absolutely. I mean, that's why now men aren't really that interested in getting married. (laughs) Among among other things like the legal dynamic of it. But yeah. Right. Which is the segue into the next section, you know, and, you know, I've, I've, I've given the analogy of the way relationships are perceived now. It's like a transaction. Yeah. Right. Okay. A business deal. So imagine this. Okay. You're going into a business deal where you're being asked to uh, put up your income, put up your assets, mm-hmm. right? Your house, all these things, your car all your possessions you're putting all these things up as collateral for the deal okay and the other party puts up no collateral all you get is the hope of having sex sometimes They're not doing anything. They're not required to do anything. Right. Okay. But but now, in addition to the fact that you've put up all the, the collateral, in order for this deal to be successful, you have to make her happy. Right. And if you fail in that impossible pursuit, 
you can be foreclosed on. Mm-hmm. Right. And lose your collateral. Okay. So if this is a business deal, would you enter into this transaction? Exactly. Exactly. And let's add to the impossibility of it. You're often talking about, when you talk about marriage, you're talking about something that often girls have been thinking about since they were damn near toddlers. Most of the young men that I've, I've worked with or taught in my classes, they don't really start thinking about marriage into, until like adulthood. But you have girls who've been thinking about this since childhood. So the list of expectations go back to damn near being a toddler. Mm-hmm. And you're walking into this dynamic and, you're, and you have these expectations that no one has told you about. And in some of these cases, you have women that have been thinking about this for so long, they can't even articulate how many expectations on a husband there'll be. And so what you often hear is men say, we were dating, everything was going well, we got married, and then I didn't understand who this woman was. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that once when she, when she got married, she had a whole nother part of her that kicked in that she's been creating since childhood and waiting on you to fulfill. And you thought you were marrying the woman you dated. Right. And it's, it's, it's so deep that it's become an unconscious or a subconscious desire mm-hmm. you know, to where if you were to ask a woman, you know, who's, who all of a sudden starts feeling pressure to get married, you know, and as you pointed out, this is something that they've been dreaming about since their child. They dreamed about their their wedding day, and, and they I'm sure they have a picture in their mind of how it's going to look, and they've already identified, you know, the how their their life is going to look as as being being married. They've d- developed all these expectations. Mm-hmm. If you were to ask one of them. Why do you want to get married? What do you think that you're going to get from it? <laughs> right. <laughs> they will say, well, it'll make me happy. Right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. But if you ask them why, why do you think that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You'll get blank. Got, there's no answer for it. There'll be no answer. Yeah. Because they've been programmed into to thinking that. Yeah. And the programming works for them because even when they're disappointed, as you pointed out, they can still extract resources from you while punishing you for not being what they dreamed about. Mm-hmm. Right. Punish you for not being what they dreamed about. Exactly. While we are trained to pedestalize, prioritize, anticipate, even telepathically, what it is she may ever need, the moment you fall short of her expectations, which are already impossible, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hassan, I want our connection to be so deep that that you could just read my mind and know what I want. You should be able to do that. You know, it's... I told a story last week when I introduced emotional labor and I talked about the ways that I did that for my wife. And I think people process that, particularly some of the women that read it, they process that as me saying, I'm a good man because I can do it. And I think what people missed was I was actually saying, 
that kind of impossible shit damn near drove me crazy. It damn near drove me crazy. And when I think about how impossible that is, it's even more so. But we had a we had a, a, a post that I want a comment that I think you know might be useful to this conversation. This is from Sleeping Olmex. And he said, as a single father, I had issues with family, women undermining my authority under the pretense I'm a man and don't understand my daughter. They had no answer when I asked about single mothers and sons. Mm. So it's okay for single mothers to define what the emotional labor role that young boys are supposed to play. But when you have fathers raising daughters, there's all kinds of questions about what he should teach her, what he shouldn't teach her, what the limits are, what she, you know, all of this around that in ways that we don't do for single mothers and sons. Any thoughts about that? Hmm. Well, that's, that's an interesting point. And yeah, I mean, I have thoughts about it. You know, for one, it's it's an, a little, it's a sense of arrogance in thinking that as a woman, you know what it takes to raise a child. Right. A male child. Mm-hmm. But even, even just having the, the perception that a the perception that any one parent can 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 serve both roles the the male and the female role whether it be a male or a female that's a that's a really a high level of arrogance and selfishness because you're not looking at the the needs of the child you know a woman cannot give the what a man can give to daughter or son okay there are certain roles that i don't care about what we're in new age or whatever there are certain things that men can do and there are things that women can do women are nurturers Men provide stability, strength, physically and emotionally. Okay. And so it's about balance. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so in our community, if we go back into antiquity, we see that there was balance between the male and the female the masculine and the feminine. I was just in Egypt this summer. And you would see statues of, of the the male and the female next to each other, equal size. That is a symbol of balance, of mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we need both energies. Right. Okay, and so a, a male father single he knows that he can't be a mother so most of the 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 fathers single fathers that i know of they will look for someone maybe a female in the family or will look for a woman to be able to provide that type of um, feminine 
perspective to help with the raising of their daughter. Right. Because we recognize we can't give the feminine. But unfortunately, too often, our women, black women, have been so negatively indoctrinated about black men that they don't want to acknowledge the fact that the child also needs the, the, the male influence and they will selfishly take it upon themselves to solely be the influence and parent for that child and not giving appropriate respect mm. for the for the male right. influence that a, that a, that a child needs whether it's a male or female oh, and take it a step further you get to father's day and mother's day twice a year you'll see women in that position of being single mothers demanding credit for being father and mother i never see single fathers do that I never see single fathers show up on Mother's Day saying I'm a mother too. I don't see it. Mm -hmm. But every year we see black women in particular celebrating being both father and mother. The respect for the masculine principle is not there. It's not. They believe they can exchange, they, that they can fulfill it because, I mean, it, it, it's just something we do. You know, we got it. We got male and female, we can handle it. That's kind of the attitude when it comes to fathering. And when we look at the fallout of the family, particularly with kids, in regard to the absence of fathers, the incarceration rates, the, the, the various psychological and emotional disorders and issues that are you know, data-driven, you can find are, are often a product of not having fathers there. All of that will often get dismissed in casual conversation. Mm -hmm. And what we end up doing from there is lauding the mother principle ignoring the father principle absolutely and so now we're in an era where women are calling themselves goddesses and queens and we think that this comes out of nowhere no it comes out of the the, the worship of the mother it comes out of this kind of idea that the mother can do no wrong and can do everything and the father is really and this is the key part the father is irrelevant he is conditional he can be brought in and exchanged and replaced for another when necessary if he does not make the mother happy. That's where we've gotten to. The disposability of the father principle, the masculine principle. And, and when we get into these gender discourses now that are very popular, there's a kind of, uh, there's a, you know, there's this idea that the masculine is, is so, it's so dislodged from the biological that anybody can provide the masculine principle, right? So that's the, we've gotten to this extreme of the discourse where, you know, um, you know, everything is what it is. It, it's interchangeable, but usually only as it pertains to the masculine. Nobody calls the, the, the feminine interchangeable to the full extent. I mean, we do hear it to some extent when it comes to gay brothers and whether or not they can embrace the feminine, but you don't even see them being honored as the mother. This mm -hmm. is something that we, we see reserved for manhood, particularly in the black community for black men, for heterosexual black men, and the idea of what role masculinity plays in relationships and in family. It's interchangeable, it's replaceable, it's disposable. When it comes to the feminine, 
there are some men that can get close to it and they're kind of lauded for being able to do it in terms of gay men in particular and trans men, trans women. But when it comes to the, the female principle, the feminine principle, the mother principle, that's still the purview of women and they need to be pedestalized for it. You have this kind of double standard that I see happening in terms of how you know masculinity is even viewed. Are you seeing that? Well, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're in a time where there is a, an extreme backlash to uh, patriarchy. And not to say that that patriarchy has not presented a problem in the world. It has. Uh-huh. But what has to be distinguished, you know, particularly in the Black community, is that what has been prevalent in, in the dominant society has not been the dynamic in our community. Okay, and so I've had that, I've had arguments with, with white women over that point right where they've assumed that uh feminism is necessary because women have been repressed globally and so they just extrapolate that to 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 assume that that has been the dynamic in the black community when it has not right But, you know, I'm like, I I just started, I just picked up this book uh, Against White Feminism written by Rafia Zakaria. Mm. And, you know, and so she she points out the fact that the white feminist basically just just does just that, assumes that the concerns of the white female pertain to all women right right they take this uh authoritarian view of it and impose their views on all women and unfortunately in our community it has been sold effectively and has been used as a tool to divide black families to to block divide the black man and the black woman Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so we and so that's what we see be affecting the dynamic between black men and black women you know where in addition to the things that we've already discussed now we're we're battling with this perception that in reaction to the to a perception that black women have been suppressed by false perception that black women have been suppressed by men and they're reacting to it as if it was true yeah mm-hmm. I mean it, well it's I think at this point it's deeply ingrained I mean this is what some of the brothers uh, on on uh, YouTube have uh, framed around the col- the color purpling of the black community. This idea from the color purple has has, has almost uh, become historical in people's imagination. Re- in, a, in a revisionist fashion, it's it's somehow become real. Even though, if you looked at statistically how many black men in the early part of the 20th century were living like Mister, it'd be an infinitesimal group. 
you know, but somehow uh, it became so universal. I think it became standard. I mean, I know, you know, I know women all the way through their 60s and 70s that still hate Danny Glover and black men that look like him just because of that role. So this kind of powerful idea that this work of fiction can retroactively go back in time and become the standard of how black masculinity is viewed by so many black women is really deep to me and it's become well, accepted. Yeah, and I would suggest that that movie was put out specifically for that purpose and has done an effective job in creating that very dynamic that you that you pointed out. Mm-hmm. Because it it provided a a fictional basis to assume that that was historical. And so a lot of people, as you pointed out, look at the the color purple as what the dynamics were in the in the black community yeah. when it was not like that at all. And like you pointed out, it was a very small percentage of it. But the perception of it, it has been so real because of the fact that it was in you know in um the movie theaters and 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 knowing how effective that medium is in in programming people's consciousness that now in the wake of that we're experiencing that perception and fighting it as if it were true yeah yeah absolutely especially if you're if you're a brother who 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 is late to understanding these things you're fighting a stereotype that you don't even know about mm-hmm. you know and that's kind of the, that's one of the difficulties behind this um now you do individual and relationship counseling um in relation to what we're talking about have you noticed in 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 counseling in general um even your experiences with it have you noticed how uh, few seem to be prepared to actually counsel men with a degree of respect? Have, have you seen that dynamic playing out? Is that one of the reasons that you got into this? Because you don't come, you don't come at counseling the way many others have been trained to. Have you seen that that break in, in terms of how men are viewed, even in marriages, when you have couples going to get relationship counseling? How how do you see men being treated? In that that context, well, there, there's two perspectives that I have, and two you know experiences that I've had. So, the first the first part of the experience is that my perception is that when a woman is in a relationship and seeks to go into counseling, that she's not seeking counseling for the relationship in order to be able to discern what the problem is, bring all the problems out into the open and and try to be able to solve them. Mm-hmm. That's not the objective. The objective is to to find a lettered ally to blame the man for the problems in the relationship. Right. Okay. And to the extent that the counselors that they go to are women, there is the inclination to take the woman's side of it 
And so then, you know, the man's a man ends up being blamed. Right. Right. Okay. And so then you have the other side of the coin where, you know, and this has been part of my personal experience is that the counselor is actually sincere. But since the woman is looking for an ally to blame, you know, to, to what an ally to, uh, to agree with the fact that the man is the problem, Uh you know? And so it's like, okay, see, I told you it was you, right? Well, if they don't acquiesce to that and, you know, recognize that, you know, both have things that they need to correct, then the woman doesn't want to go to counseling anymore. <laughs> I, 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 it sounds like something you may have experienced, sir. I've experienced. I have. Had, had, yeah, yes, I have had that experience. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Somehow, okay, is no longer no longer needed when the critique turns to her. Right. So your services are no longer needed because you didn't do what I was. I'm, I'm paying you for. You were supposed to punish him. Yeah. You're supposed to punish him. Right. So now. The third part now is the reason I got into it is because from my perspective, other people who do counseling are doing it from a very superficial standpoint. Okay. Okay. You know, so as I pointed out at the outset, relationships are, are a means to assist one in their journey into understanding themselves okay okay and so that's really the true value of a relationship is that so we're we are invariably be invariably going to attract someone who is going to bring out to the forefront so that we can see it Mm -hmm. the issues that we have you know because if we're alone you know it's like you know you're walking around in your house all day and maybe you you don't have any mirrors in your house you could be looking like a hot mess, but thinking you're fine. Right. You know, because there's nothing to measure yourself against. Okay. But then, you know, now you have mirrors in the house and you're walking around, you know, now you can see yourself, you know, unless you refuse to look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the relationship is like the mirror. Okay. So you can either blame the mirror which is what most people do. Or you can say, okay, um, this is why I react. I I reacted this way to this. Why is that? You know, and then start doing some, some inner work to, to try to better understand. I like to use the word, understand, understand oneself. Right. But so most counselors don't, don't go into that part of it don't go into it from a from a spiritual standpoint with the objective of of exploring oneself you know so the relationship one is a mirror to help one understand oneself and to go into to depth into understanding why we react to things the way we do and root out the causes from them and then remove all those attachments that cause those reactions. Mm. Okay. And then 
as one engages in the awareness and introspection of being able to recognize those things, both people in the relationship then are compelled to take responsibility for doing the inner work and then have each other back and support each other in doing the introspection work. Okay. And so that's what I encourage people to do and, and take down to take people down, down the path to doing, you know, as opposed to like, okay, well, uh, you did this and you did that, you did this and you did this to her, you know, own up to it. Yeah, I did it. Okay, promise you won't do it anymore. Okay, I promise. Okay. Well, you did this and you did this and you did that. You know, uh, this made her feel this way. Right. Promise you, you know, promise you won't do it anymore. You know, so that's what mo most people do, you know, deal with in, in counseling. Right. I take it deeper because what it, one, I'm not saying that you made her feel this way or you made him feel this way because your feelings are your responsibility, not hers, not his. Mm -hmm. No one made you mad. No one made you sad. You allowed that. Mm -hmm. You don't have to react that way. Right. Okay. And so my counseling is empowering, is letting you know that you don't have to be affected by this and it's empowering from the standpoint that when you realize that you have control, you will be much more discerning about those who you allow into your space. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't go and, and, that's, and see, that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this in regard to emotional labor, because you're you're letting men in particular know that the in terms of how they define what a relationship is they are not required to play this role and even if they were it still couldn't work anyway you can't make her happy you can't make anybody happy so there's a liberation there especially for black men there's a liberation in knowing that you don't have to play this role that you've been told since childhood was your job you don't have to do it you don't have to do it you know nor should you do it if it is the expectation that it's your responsibility to to make them happy you know i mean and, and you know when i talk about this from a spiritual standpoint um you know realize i, I i've applied this you know, myself, and I've come to that realization. You know, I had um, a situation where, you know, it was put, uh, I had a talk with an, uh, an ex that wasn't an ex at the time, and she came back to me uh, with a list of requirements about what I was supposed to do to make her happy. And I just said, I'm not going to do it, you know, because it was a one-sided discussion. There was nothing about what she's going to do for me. Not that I expected her to do something to make me happy, 
But she wasn't, it was just a one-sided equation. She was talking about what she was going to do and uh, how um, she would do things that I wanted her to do. It was all about what I was going to do for her. And so seeing that that was the, what, what the situation that was going to be required for me to be in a relationship with her, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I don't want to be in a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. You know, because I have respect for myself. Mm-hmm. I want things. I have things that I want. I have things that I want from you or from a woman. Mm-hmm. Right. And so a man has to, to to be able to establish his criteria. These are, you know, and, and so in a relationship, you know, both people should be able to come to the table. Like, look, you know, these are the things that I like, you know, um, would you do these things for me? Okay. These are things that I like. Would you do these things for me? And so in a relationship, you know, you should want to do those things for each other, you know, and it shouldn't be a requirement, but that's what that ends up being the case more often than not, that it ends up being a requirement. It becomes an expectation a one-sided one at that. A one-sided expectation. Um, and expectations always lead to disappointment. Right. So so ideally, you know, you, you if you're emotionally mature and you know that your emotions are your responsibility and you actually can, re- you know, engage a, a woman that understands that as well, then the idea for you becomes... We can share, we can enjoy each other. And and even though I don't expect you to make me happy and you don't expect me to make you happy, here are the things that I would, I I want in a relationship. These are the things I'm willing to do in regard to what you want. And we, we, we see if we can actually engage one another, but it's not coming from expectation. It's coming from a conscious, purposeful dialogue about what role we can play while being responsible and mature about our own emotional needs, not coming from the other person. Exactly. So it, it, it ends up being more, you know, where, where love is, I would give this de- definition of love. Love is where you do things for the person that you love because you want to. You want to do these things because they find these things pleasing. You want to give of them selflessly. You're not doing it because you want something back. You're doing it just because you know that this that your woman or man finds this pleasing and you want them to, to receive that because you selflessly love them. Love is, is selfless. As opposed to, well, I'm going to do this for them and then attach to it an expectation that, okay, well, since I did this for you, you must do this for me. Okay. So that's not selfless love. That's transactional love. And that's not love. Okay. And that's going to wear out. Okay. So the ideal thing is where each person in the relationship is like, hey, you know, um, my woman, you know, I know she says she likes this. Let me go do this for her. 
Not because you think that, well, if you don't, I'm going to catch hell. You're just doing it because she has no expectation. She wants it. And you do it because because you know that's something that she wants. Conversely, she's doing the same thing for you. And so in that situation, both of you guys are getting what you want, but there's no expectations there. Therefore, there's no disappointment. There's no pressure. You're being able to experience other each other and appreciate each other in the moment. Right. You have expectations. You're projecting out into the future. Mm-hmm. And so you're not appreciating what what they're doing what uh, what they're doing right now. Which which is not only a liberatory kind of thing. I also find that if you transition from relationship to single or single to relationship, it's still a smooth transition because if you hold to that philosophy, you're prioritizing and managing yourself, whether you're single or in a relationship. And it's the same process. Um, Now, uh, I want you to tell people how they can reach you, how they can, uh, you know, how they can watch more of you uh, or uh, how they can even, uh, you know, engage some of your services. Okay. There are a number of different ways now that you can reach out to me. Uh, The first and most effective way is to email me at my email, which is sa-ra at sa-ra.org. So that's my direct email. Mm -hmm. And you can... Just write to me and let me know what the issue is that you want to uh, be counseled over or have to have discussions about. Soon my email, my uh, website will be up, and when the e excuse me, when my website is up, you can go to my website, which is sa-ra.org, and. You can choose whether it's relationship counseling or uh, personal spiritual counseling, and you can sign up there. There's also a page where you can sign up for a free, uh, I think it's half an hour consultation with me. And so, again, that's sa-ra.org. And tell them your YouTube channel uh, and uh, my, and uh, the, uh, the radio station, Interlight. Okay. My YouTube channel is under my full comedic name, which is S.A. Sa'amin Ma'atra at gmail.com. So that's S.A. dot R.A. Excuse me. Sa, S.A. dot A-M-E-N dot M-A-A-T dot R-A. That's my YouTube channel. And then on the first and third Tuesdays of every month, I do my show Journey into Self, which is the same name as my uh, spiritual counseling program, Journey into Self on innerlightradio.com, which is broadcast at 7 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Central time, and 10, excuse me, 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. 9.30 9.30 p.m. Central Time and 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Okay. Well, I appreciate you coming up, man. 
Thanks a lot, man. Oh, absolutely, brother. Thank you for having me on. All right, man. Have a good night. What's up? Um, so y'all check out Sarah. Uh, you can check out his YouTube channel. You can check out his inner light show. You can, you know, engage his services. But the core of that discussion was about the ways in which emotional labor relate to relationships. Now, my next guest um, reached out to me last week uh, after I t- we talked about this concept of male relationship, emotional labor, and he had a different approach. He saw the value of it in a whole different uh, from a whole different tack. So let me bring in uh, somebody that I think uh, many of you on YouTube are well familiar with. What's up, <laughs> Uncle D? What's up? What's up, man? How you, How doing, you doing, doctor? I'm good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing good, doctor. I'm uh, actually doing a simulcast of this on on my channel Uh-oh. right now, so we Uh-oh. can get maximum exposure because um, I think that this is a um, I think this is a very important topic, you know. And I'm honored to be here, you know. And you know, it's always I mean to be on the stage with you. It's always an honor, you know. So, and so. I still have. <laughs> I still have brothers writing to me about the last two times you came up in here. <laughs> when you were shutting it down, you were telling brothers how they can uh, how they can manage their way out of relationships that are not going well. Right, right. Yeah. And so we, there was some interesting, uh, you know, directives uh, given in that. So people still yeah. reach out to me on that. But yeah. uh, for those who may not know, and I don't think it's many, introduce yourself. Tell you, tell people what you do. Uh, my name is Dennis Sperling. I'm an attorney. I've been licensed to practice law for 20 years. Uh, my specialty is complex civil litigation, which includes mass toxic torts. When things blow up, I get involved. That includes chemical plants. In addition to that, uh, I'm one of the interim uh, counsel on the CPAP litigation, which is a big honor. Um, out of all the thousands of lawyers involved in it, I'm one of eight lawyers who's helping uh, bring in uh, or rein in the defendants on this uh, Phillips. Uh, are you the the respirator that they had a recall back in in April, and so a lot of people were affected by that. Yeah. And so I'm one of the attorneys. I've been flying back and forth from uh, Pennsylvania, working with some great people in federal court uh, mm-hmm. on that. And uh, you know, a proud HBCU grad, Southern University Law Center, Grambling State University. And uh, of course, I got my LLM from Tulane. So I got the Ivy League side. I got the HBCU side, state school, private school. Uh, I think my most important title is father. There we go. Uh, and, and specifically black father. And I believe that's important because it gives me um, what I got a dog in this hunt. Right. It, it's not that I, there's nowhere I can go. I can't run from the issues that black men face. Why? because my sons will have to grow up and, and, and bear that burden if I don't try to do something about it uh, here. So I'm very interested. And so just, it's interesting how you and I kind of gravitated to each, each other because mm-hmm. our content is, is it, it, it has, I would say the same objective, but it's, it's, you come, you know, from the academy and mm-hmm. you know, I'm a litigator. So I see things mm-hmm. from a legal perspective. And mm-hmm. also my, my background is in science. I got my, bachelor's degree in biology. I was working towards my master's in, in, in biology and my PhD in environmental molecular toxicology and environmental policy. But I had to come back to practicing law. But, but science is still my first love. So 
Okay. Anyway, that's it. But man, I'm Uncle D to the homies, man. You know, <laughs> also known as the Blizzard King, man. I'm, I'm ushering in the winner. <laughs> Shout out to everybody, man. If y'all can hear me, hit the number one button and give a big W uh, for uh, Dr. T. Asan Johnson because we're going in for the win. How about that? Right. And make sure y'all give support. Like, share, yeah. subscribe, join, yeah. donate, do all of that. Support yeah. both channels, please. Um, but we, so we had a conversation last week. Yeah. Um, I, I did my show and I was talking about this idea of male relationship, emotional labor, right. and the roles that we play. Um, you had a very different take on it because it, it even though the, the potential for the concept can go a number of different ways, the yeah. focus was still dealing kind of with what men do in intimate relationships, right. maybe even the roles we play as sons, even as children, the emotional labor we, we perform for women whether they're family members, whether they're lovers, wives, et cetera. Um, but you had a different take on it. Tell us a little bit about what you were concerned with. All right. So early last year when I first arrived on the YouTube scene, I, uh, I, I wanted to talk about the social contract. And when I say the social contract, that's the contract that exists between men and women to keep the society going. Of course, the dominant society has a social contract. And then black people, uh, in, in the subculture, African-American subculture, we have our own social contract. Now, of course, it mimics the, uh, the dominant society. But here's the thing. The old social contract that existed between black folks, um, the mating selection, there's a social contract. Who do you pick and choose? There was one thing before feminism, and now it's something else. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as general race loyalty. There was one thing, there was a, there were certain terms that existed before uh, segregation ended, and now there's something different. The roles that African-American men and women played in the household. Uh -huh. There were traditional roles that we kind of used to have, which mimicked the dominant society, but now they're different. And in addition to that, um, what we have to do now is examine how has the contract changed. Now, whether you want to go biblical or whether you want to go practical, Men are expected to provide, provide certain things on the interpersonal level. And typically we say what? Um, uh, provision and protection, right? We say that. Somebody said my mic is low, so I'm going to put the mic a little bit closer. Y'all see I updated. I got that high-definition TV. <laughs> All you brothers in the manosphere, since I spent the $400 for this, help me get this back, man. But is it better? Can you guys hear my sound better? You're good. If you guys can hear me better. Hit the number one button if you can hear me, guys. I uh, hope you can hear me. Um, but um, anyway, so, so, so now let's look at the interpersonal relationship between men and women. What are men expected to provide in a relationship? Yeah, protection and 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 provision, right? Right. Now, I was originally looking at it as though provision, um, provision was you know food and sustenance after mm -hmm. our conversation you helped me real or actually you call it you refer to it as protection mm -hmm. the the emotional support that men supply is actually a protection yeah so so i mean that <laughs> that really set a light off it it, it 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 put a light off in my head mm -hmm. wow but it but it still all fits in but see this is a component that is often overlooked in the relationship, but it is a deal breaker when it comes to divorce. Absolutely. Think about that. 
Absolutely. They, I mean, my God. Oh, he wasn't there for me emotionally. He's cold. Mm. But what do they? What do they say? This is a deal. But you got this guy who looks great on paper. He makes money. He takes care of his family. He's a provider. He's a protector. And because she says he's emotionally cold, this is grounds for divorce. Are you kidding me? Right. How could we have overlooked this? And this, and that's not even how men are trained. We're not trained to do that. There's been there was a shift, and I'll be brief with this. But we all Mm -hmm. saw if anybody saw Fences, right? If you saw Fences with Denzel, or if you saw it on stage, that character Troy represented masculinity before the 1970s. There was no expectation that he he be there for you emotionally and that he do no. no, His the expectations placed on black men were protect and provide. That's why the, the classical scene everybody trips out on is when he tells his son, I don't have to like you. Right. My responsibility is to take care of you and right. prepare you for the world. After the 1980s, you get this whole other narrative about men being emotionally present, being willing to cry X, Y, and Z and all these different things. But what nobody mm-hmm. wants to talk about is that women subtly punish men who are emotionally expressive. Right. Even to this day, I've been hearing it from the 80s to now. Mm-hmm. How how her behavior changed the moment she saw you crying. Mm, yeah. It can be over the death of your mother or your father. It can be something that is, you know, significantly serious. And men will talk about her whole demeanor change. Yeah. He lost respect. And that was the beginning of the end of the relationship. But I, I didn't want to interrupt. But I just wanted to add that. No, 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 no. It's it, it that that that's I mean, yeah, that definitely lays the context. And so, I mean, the, the where I'm going with it. So now I have to look at that in the context of what does this look like on a macro level? And when I say macro, I mean, okay, we got, we see how interpersonal relationships uh, go as far as man and woman, him and her, them in the same room, two individuals. But Mm -hmm. what about the fact that now you got a social contract between a group of people, men and women that's changed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So before, Men were expected to provide certain things as a group. You see a black woman getting beat up, yeah. you're supposed to jump in. That's part of the social contract on a macro level. Yes. Uh, you're, 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 you see a black woman struggling with kids, you're supposed to help out. Uh, you're supposed to console your sisters, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. Now, before, there was what? Submission and mm-hmm. cooperation. Mm-hmm. So the social contract has changed and our lovely ladies, as I like to call them, and I mean lovely ladies, I don't mean anything else. I mean, lovely ladies, right? I'm putting good vibes out there, you know? And so, so because the social contract has changed and they're no longer obligated to, to do anything for, they don't even have to smile at us if yeah. they don't want to. It's offensive. And so what does that mean? Yeah. That means that what are the terms? All our lovely ladies are supposed to give us in exchange for our services which includes that that aspect, that protectionist aspect that is sex and validation. Mm. That's it. That we're supposed to get as a group. They don't, but they don't have to do that. That's on an individual level. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But what do they have to give us as a group? Nothing. And so mm. now you have black men saying, well, the terms have changed. We don't have to give you group protection, which uh, you know, we don't have to fight and die fighting white supremacy racism. Uh, as far as provision, uh, we are expected to provide for them and the children that they they fathered with other men, but we don't have to do that now. And on the emotional level, right, which is also known as the deal breaker, we mm-hmm. don't even have to. We don't have to do anything for them. 
And and so what's happening now? What is, look what the women are doing now that the men are withdrawing that emotional support that we used to give them. I mean, that that's where I'm going with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. It, I, I call it a, a one-way traditionalism, right? Mm-hmm. Where in one vein, you're still, I mean, just like we can go back to the 50s, the 40s, the yeah. 30s. You're still supposed to protect and provide not yeah. just your woman or daughter, but anyone you come into contact with. She right. could have a busted tire at the side of the freeway. It's mm-hmm. expected that you stop and do these things. Yeah. But in a relationship, it's this kind of traditional idea where you do this. But women, after, as you pointed out, after the introduction of feminism, they don't have to do anything. They can have your child or not. They can work full-time, part-time, not at all. You know, they, they're they never called, you know, what, what is it we call men that uh, that refuse to work? Uh, uh, you know, bums or, yeah. or I, I, there's a couple of new terms that, that slipped my mind right now. There's They don't have any of that. They can choose any role they want or none at all. Mm-hmm. And that's proper exchange for the still social, the still, you know, it's the, the stable social expectation that men continue to play the same roles we've been playing for generations right. while having added the new dimensions of emotional presence and, you know, so on and so forth. The question then becomes, as you pointed out, if men start to respond to the environment by saying this one way traditionalism does not benefit us. We don't get anything out of it. And I'm still playing the same role that her grandmother enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Well, men start to say, well, what are some new contracts I can entertain? What are some right. new engagements that I can look into? Because this is not feeding me. Right. All I'm doing is pouring out. Yeah. Now, one thing, what happens, and, and I don't think we've given an adequate explanation for what the emotional load is. And you gave a, a masterful explanation. You said that, uh, the emotional load was what? It's when you're in the movie theater with your with your your wife, and mm. this part that reminds her of, of of something bad that happened to her as a, as a child, yeah. or, or you talk through that part so she won't see it or, or she won't listen to it. Yeah, I was uh, I was uh, I was actually explaining how you know mm. we had lost all in all we lost three pregnancies and one mm. of them she had to deliver. So think about a woman who's six months along. Mm-hmm. And you've had children, so you know, even yeah. when the baby's in the womb, you got dreams, you got thoughts, you're oh, wondering, yeah. you know, six months, six and a half months into it, um, you know, the baby dies and she has to deliver it, right? So we went through that, you know, three separate times. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And, and so what ended up happening is she became so understandably, it was understandable, but she came mm-hmm. and traumatized when she would see other women with children. So I had to develop this spider Mm -hmm. sense. You know, if we were taking a walk and I saw a woman with a baby carriage, I'd have to turn us another way before she saw the woman. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. we might spend a couple of days in bed depressed. You know what I mean? If we're watching a TV show or a movie and I see it going that way, I either change it or turn it off and or, or, you know, distract her for a scene. And it got to be such that, you know, it, it became, and I, I use this example when I talked about it, it became like a dance that I would lead and mm-hmm. she would trust me to lead it because she didn't want to have to rebuild herself from scratch every right. time she had a breakdown. So if I distracted her in the middle of the movie, she wouldn't be like, well, why are you asking now? She got to the point where she would go with the distraction because she trusted that I was pulling her from something that mm-hmm. she couldn't handle. But I never thought of that as labor. I just... Mm-hmm. It was just something I did because the situation was needed. And when I started to look at how men in society function, 
I realized that not only are men doing this in individual relationships, we're doing this on a larger path. I mean, when you talk about right. welfare, when you talk about welfare, when you yeah. talk about these are various types of policy based emotional labor. Yes, there is a material need addressed, but it's also a feeling of stability. And I think in our community, what that has spawned is uh, a disdain uh, for black men, a misandry, right. because they don't see the need, the need for it. Doc, let me give them a prime example of black men spare holding the emotional load mm -hmm. on a group level. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, black American women have a weight problem. I think we have an obesity problem in the black. I think we all can agree on that. Mm -hmm. Instead of black men ignoring, uh, ex instead of black men stating that, they will ignore those facts to spare the effect that the truth will have on the feelings of black American women. So mm -hmm. we'll say, oh, it's okay, baby, you fine. You 180 pounds, you five foot three, you're fine. We're bearing that emotional load because we're trying to spare her feelings. Mm -hmm. And I, that's, that's one example. Mm -hmm. Or what you have... Um, and, and, and black women are so used to black men holding that load mm -hmm. that when you do tell them about it, what will they say? Mm -hmm. They'll say, oh, you're hateful. You hate mm -hmm. black American women. Mm -hmm. um, they'll, they'll try to shame you. They'll, they'll, they'll do that. They'll, they'll try to do anything they can to make you stop that because they're not used to men in the black community not sharing that emotional load. Right. And see, here's the thing. And if you don't mind me mentioning, Kevin Samuels is masterful mm -hmm. at letting these women realize I'm not going to carry your emotional load. You're average. You are overweight. Yeah. You have too many children for a man that will really that, mm -hmm. that you want to want you. And so that's what he's doing. And we enjoy watching the carnage, especially black men, because that's something that we want to do. We want to not be able, we don't want to carry that emotional load anymore, especially since the contract has been breached. And we're talking macro level. I, I, that's a good, maybe you have another example you can use. Well, no, I, I would just say, this is how this is how cold the game is. It's, mm -hmm. When you watch Kevin or other brothers on here that are doing yeah. that, it's not just that uh, we're we're blown away and we, we're, we're lit up at the fact that he's not carrying their emotional load. It's that right. we didn't realize that we've been carrying it. You know, <laughs> You know, when you've been carrying so, something so long, you forget you're even holding it. And, and yeah. at the same time, we've been bred mm -hmm. carry it without being credited for having done so, for doing yeah. so. So whether you're a little boy holding the performing emotional labor for parent, for mothers, right. you know what I mean, or aunts or whatever, or whether you're a grown man doing it. And here's the thing. I talk about, you know, um, I talk about the ways in which uh, we have, you know, multiple, we have family structure in the black community where the households are primarily female run, but they're connected. So right. grandmother's house, mother's house, aunt's house, cousin's house, daughter's house, they're, they're, they're damn near like spheres, but they're, mm -hmm. they're female led, you know, led households in connection with one another. Right. And in many instances, they will even uh, share male resources, right? It, what, and and yep. it can include sex, but it mm -hmm. can be anything from repair work to, you know, sitting there and listening to them download, and women will even share their men with others as, as some type of resource. We have mm -hmm. all of that going, going on. And for black men, we've been socialized to do this for so long. We don't think anything of it. 
We don't right. think of it as a value. We don't think of it as a skill. We're not credited for doing it well, but we are punished if we don't do it well. Yeah. And yet at the same time, we're a resource that she can share. So how many times as fellas have you heard, well, you know, my girlfriend needs you to go fix such and such in her house mm-hmm. or her car or do whatever, you know, it, or, or take her son or daughter to an event. You know what I mean? You're actually used as a form of resource as, that she can barter with her network, right? And this is the framework we're kind of talking about when we see how these families are structured and the way we're socialized. We're already doing emotional labor, but we're not told that we are, and we're damn sure not told that it's valuable, even yeah. though I would argue it's probably more valuable than any other uh, form of provisioning we have. I agree. They don't need anything else from us, Doc. Look, they can take care of themselves. They don't need our money. They don't need our protection. They can call 911. All that they can, the only thing that they can't get from these other groups of men on a macro level mm-hmm. is, is for them to carry that emotional load. They, they and, and you have a better term. I want to use your phraseology because it's distinct for this, this uh, our, our community. And I, I want to make sure that, that, the, that the audience has that particular phrase that you use. And okay. can, you, can you give it to us, please? Oh, let me put it up. Shout out to Ishmael. Appreciate that support. You talking about this one here? That is it. Male relationship, yep. emotional labor. Yes, sir. Yeah. Male relationship, emotional labor. So this is the term that I want you all to use because it's 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 unique to the black American community. OK, it's it's it, it, it takes into account what we deal with in this particular society in this particular subsect of society, and you should keep that in mind. See, here's the thing. Black women in in social settings are so used to black men ignoring facts and reality to spare them the effect uh, uh, that the truth will have on their feelings um, or or that that when you don't do it, Mm -hmm. they they holler hate, chauvinism, sexism. Uh, When you talk about things like, and and here we go, I'm going to give it to you. Their insecurities. When you bring mm-hmm. up, you bring up the weight. When you bring up the children, and you mm-hmm. mentioned something earlier. Not only are they expected to uh, share, they 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 expect you as a man to bear. They share men in the fact that what? Yeah, uh, this man had the children, but that man's going to help me bear the burden for these children. Mm-hmm. So in 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 that regard, they use you as a as as a, as a tool. They use you yeah. as a resource. But even and that's that's one of those things that falls under protection and provision. But emotional labor, my God, I, I don't think it's been touched, Doc. I, I don't think that we fully stretched the limits of, of, of the effect that that's had. Um, I, I want to bring up this. What you will find is that when some men begin to shed or, or demonstrate their unwillingness mm-hmm. To, to, mm-hmm. to share that emotional load. Mm-hmm. You have people who the, the brothers colloquially refer to as, <laughs> as simps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. There's some guys online. I won't mention them, but we'll call Steve Harvey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's a simp. And what these men do is they begin to shame other men yes. who refuse to carry the emotional load back in place. The women run to these types in an attempt to get some uh, some some countervailing messaging. And uh, the truth is, in my opinion, women don't really respect those men. They don't mm. really see them as masculine. They mm. actually want a masculine man who they respect to speak to men, them in a feminine and an emotional form. What are mm. your thoughts on that? 
I completely agree. Uh, shout out to Dr. CD too. Um, I completely agree. I mean, I think it's definitely, uh, you know, something that, that I think about it in terms of a restaurant. You ever walk in and see those signs that say we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone? Yeah. yeah, I, want, yeah. I want black men to get to that point because I think the way, the way we've been socialized, mm-hmm. we provide it off the jump. We provide it so fast. We don't even process it. It's right, almost right. like, it's almost like getting a paycheck and a bill comes in and you just pay it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You just pay it. Even if you can't afford it, you ain't budgeted yet. You haven't done none of that. You don't even appreciate mm-hmm. what you've earned. You just pay it. And yep. I want men to actually step back and say, well, do I want to pay that bill? Right. Right. You know, do I want to provide this type of labor? And, and I've been in situations where I've decided to withdraw it. I can walk away entirely or I can engage in a, in, in a, you know, in a relation of sorts with someone and just decide not to provide it. And yeah. you, and you're, and you're so right when you say it's processed as hatred, it's processed yeah. as an attack. When you have an attack, you haven't called anybody out their name. You yeah. haven't accused them of anything. You just withdrew an emotional service that you don't, you decided not to give. And how dare you? Yeah, I don't think they recognize that though, doctor. I don't think they recognize that when we when we hold stuff, basically we're holding stuff in that we otherwise could say that right. we would want to let off. We're we're taking on, we're protecting you from um having a bad day, if you will. The same mm-hmm. thing you were doing with with your wife, you mm-hmm. know, when mm-hmm. that part of the movie came on. Mm-hmm. And I don't think women appreciate I don't think women in general appreciate it. And I don't think black women as a whole appreciate the burden that black men absorb on their behalf. The crap we take from them, the crap we take from the world, but specifically what they're throwing at us. For the past 60 years, if you look at your uh, TV shows, your the Oprah generation, the color mm-hmm. purple generation, all these ladies, they've been dumping on us and we haven't said anything. Right. And so now over the past 10 years, because of, uh, the the rise of, of social media, we've been able to what say express the fact that we're not willing to accept that emotional emotional load anymore, and they don't like it. No. They don't like it at all. Well, and I think it also, I mean, because mm-hmm. we can we can. I was talking earlier about the, uh, mm-hmm. the sexual role that mm-hmm. has been attached to black men, yes. right? sexual expectation. You got women from all over the world that you know that that know what black men are associated with sexually. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and expect us to provide those services because that's been the stereotype going back yeah. to the Mandingo, this idea of that. And we've learned to perform it in many respects. Right. So much so that we often forego our own needs to, per- to perform it. But one of the interesting things that also happens with this is that uh, you have different groups of women that can appreciate what mm-hmm. black men do without thinking. Mm. Because others are now, I'm not saying performing this type of emotional labor is necessarily a good thing. Yeah, I'm not saying it's it really. I'm not saying it's bad or good, but I am saying it's ignored. And mm-hmm. there are other groups that you know from different places around the world: South America, Caribbean, mm-hmm. the continent. All there are different places, but these women actually can look at what black men here do, mm-hmm. and and identify the value of it in a way that we're not trained to. Mm-hmm. We're actually not trained to. I have a, a good brother, for example, full professor, one of the youngest full professors I've ever met. You know, I think he became full in his, his mid 30s, highly accomplished, intelligent, mm-hmm. handsome brother. 
But because he was so accomplished intellectually, you can imagine how he was talked about from, you know, high school on in regard to women here. Right. He met a woman from the continent. She took one look at him, one look. She said, this man is handsome. He's accomplished. He's intelligent. And nobody is getting with him. If anything, he's ridiculed. Right. And in, in being intellectually accomplished. She sna- he told me she snatched him up so fast. He right. didn't happen. <laughs> and the intensity you know, that, that she had about his value shocked him uh-huh. because he had never been affirmed in that manner. And in, in, in terms of the dynamic with women in America, mm-hmm. he was, you know, he, he was what, what they call what an educated lane. Mm-hmm. She looked at that and said, oh, y'all tripping. I got him. And yeah. the next thing he knew, he said, he said, I damn near married her on the strength of her attraction to me. You know, in that regard, the value of what mm-hmm. black men do here that we don't even think about is seen differently when people are socialized in different contexts. And mm-hmm. you can probably speak to that far better than I could. Well, yeah. And, and you know, it, it's interesting. And, and I actually talked about this in my broadcast last week after watching, you know, your work. So I talked earlier about the old social contract. So mm-hmm. here's the new social contract, right? And it's saying, and I'm talking specifically about the relationship that exists between black men and black women in exchange for sex with a black woman or being in a relationship with a black woman, right? Mm-hmm. This means an individual black woman, mm-hmm. right? You have certain requirements um, that you owe to the group, right? Okay. And in exchange for that, the group will then give you validation and attention. And they will, they will, yeah, good boy, you're doing a good job. Wow. So what happens when you decide to date interracially? Okay. And you're no longer receiving your sex and attention from a member of, of the Black American female group, mm-hmm. right? So, so what happens, right? What if, if you're supposed to give them if one of their group and I'm, I'm looking at you know i'm looking at as a scientist right mm-hmm. if, if you're there if you're not receiving your sex and your validation and your attention from them right mm-hmm. what do you owe them as as a group okay think about that like what do you really owe? so and and if you begin to think about it this might, might be why interracial sex um is so looked down upon by black women. If black men is not receiving sex and validation and attention from a woman, uh, or if he's receiving sex, validation and attention from a woman or women of another group or racial group, he has no obligation to then provide protection, provision, or bear the emotional burden of black American women Uh based on the terms of the newly negotiated social contract. Uh Think about that. Just, just, Just think about that for a minute because there's such a vitriolic response when black men date out. Whereas with black women, because they're not obligated to really give us anything in the mm-hmm. new social contract, they can do what they want to do. And you don't have an uproar from black men and black women have nothing to say. So there has to be a better, uh, there has to be a better answer in that social, that social enclave. What are your thoughts on that? Well, here's the, here's the thing. The way I look at when I mm-hmm. think about feminism, okay. Mm-hmm. I think about, uh, say, for example, I don't know, a knitted sweater. Okay. And feminism basically said, well, you know what? When it comes to women and girls, we want to take this strand and we want to just pull it out. And we want to we prioritize it. We want to pull it out. And there was no thought 
to what that would do to the tapestry of the rest of the sweater. In other words, when men step back and said, well, if she's redefining herself, I'm standing here by myself holding to, as you said, the old social contract, then right. this frees me up to raise a whole new set of questions. Mm-hmm. And, and with that, you've had, now here's the thing, when you talk about the manosphere, the manosphere just gave names to sit that black men have been doing for decades. Right. I know, I'm serious. You know, I know brothers in their 60s that started dating internationally uh-huh. decades ago, and they actually took the 70s definition of blackness, which moved from strictly an African-American context mm-hmm. and moved it to a, 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 an, a an international one. So mm-hmm. you have black men that will tell you, I still only date black women, but those black women may come from, you know, Britain. They may come from Africa. They may come from the Caribbean. They may come from South America. You know, they may come from anywhere. And then you have some that are just completely like, I'll go with whoever extends me the proper amount of respect and care. You know, right. it, it, the, but the point is, we moved from just an African-American context to a larger one, but it didn't really start, in my assessment, until feminists pulled the tapestry, pulled the string out and said, well, we want something special just for us. And it doesn't work that way. As you said, it's a delicate exchange of resources, energy, social engagements, roles, gender roles at that. And Mm -hmm. if you're going to pull that tapestry and you're going to say, well, we want to be able to do whatever we want and we want men to cater to whatever Mm -hmm. we want to do. I want to if I want to have multiple, you know, men, but you can't see other women. Women, women will come. Right. In yeah. With this kind of narrative. Yeah. And, and then turn around and be surprised when men respond and yeah. say, okay, well, if you're going to do that, we're yeah. going to have to figure out what we can do. And as black men have started to explore in these last number of decades, now we're seeing the cost of that because when you really look at the data, the only group that that prioritizes American black women are American black men. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Doc. And if you're yeah. going to alienate those, the only group of men that prioritize you, mm-hmm. you're you're not going to have great results at all. You're, right. you're, you're, and you know, and I keep going back to the social contract, and I put this in the private chat. The new terms of the soul, and this is my, this is something, and and please pick it apart. Please pick it apart. But my my thoughts are the new social contract. So what do we get? And it's and it's because we don't get we don't get submission. We don't get cooperation. We don't get uh, get contempt. Yeah, we get contempt. So in ex- what do they give us? They give us the absolute minimum, and that breaks down to validation and attention. And what do they get in return? They get protection. But here's the protection that they get. This includes us laying down our lives for any one of them. They get a bad. Uh, pedicure at the local uh, Asian nail shop. We're supposed <laughs> to go in there like gangbusters and, and 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 hit everybody in there with brooms and bricks and you know like the Navy SEALs, the Negro right. SEALs, if you will. Right. Like we go right. in there like the Negro SEALs, right? Right. Um, and provision imply includes uh, taking care of their children fathered by other men. Okay, mm-hmm. that's that's what that's part of the new contract. This is not something. That, that was, you know, as prevalent in the contract that we had pre-1955. But now it's part of the obligation, okay? And 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 then I also added in the emotional support, which means their exclusion, right? Emotional, carrying their emotional, emotional load to mm-hmm. the exclusion of other women from other white races. And here's the kicker, certain classes of black American women uh, of our own race, 
What okay. do I mean by that? If she's too light skinned and light skinned, if she's too light skinned, just because she's having a bad day, you're still not supposed to empathize with her. You're not supposed to come to her aid. Mm -hmm. I find that also very interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that, Doc? Well, go into that a little bit more. Give give us a scenario with that. Okay, so okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna adopt what you said that the emotional load falls under protection. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you have a situation where. Uh, if you see a a woman, a black woman, we'll, let's pick one. I, I don't know somebody who's not sympathetic. Um, mm. Pick a a black woman who's married to a dark skin, a light skinned black woman married to a dark skinned black man. Let's say somebody that would otherwise be black if they were married to a white man. Let's say a Jennifer Lopez, right? Let's okay. pretend like she has some black in there. Now she's married to a dark skinned black man. Oh, no, she's not one of us. She's a foreigner. So something okay. bad happens to her. So now you're not supposed to sympathize with her. You're not supposed to conjole, could, could, uh, console her for what she's dealing with. And I'm sure there are better uh, people like uh, better people that have African descent. I don't know if J-Lo actually claims her African descent. I know she's Puerto Rican, but that's mm -hmm. kind of what I'm talking about in that context. Okay. You're, so you're, you're saying the, the, the brother that's with her yeah. In, in in order to stay in the good graces of the black community is not supposed to provide her emotional labor because she's light or what is that what but you're saying? Because she doesn't or yeah, she doesn't represent the idea of the American black woman. She does not represent the idea of of the black American woman that needs the most. And oh. that's typically the darker skin, darker complexion sisters. And and you know, it, even amongst the African American women, like I've noticed that they oftentimes will ostracize the lighter, fair-skinned women, especially if they have Eurocentric features, especially if they have that long, curly hair. I see what happens with them. They get mm -hmm. called all sorts of names. They get vilified, and it goes both ways, but the dominant society does most of the attacking on dark-skinned women. They, you know, they, they, they make them out to be these, these brutes and these, you know, mammy types. It's, it's, real, it's real touchy, and I don't, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it would take a black American woman to explain the dynamic of that, but I've seen it happen just as an outsider looking in. Well, and there's, but there's so many dimensions to, mm -hmm. to how we've seen this, these kind of things play out because you can mm -hmm. see it in terms, you can see it in terms of skin color. Mm -hmm. I've seen it in terms of hair texture, right? in terms of body shape. I've mm -hmm. seen it in terms of class. I've mm -hmm. seen it in terms of nationality, right? And especially if you're talking about international. Right. Uh, I've seen. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it in terms of age. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out to Jay Jermaine for that support. I've seen it. You know, but all of these different dimensions, these different divisions and dimensions play out in terms of what I hear you saying is the shaming yeah. of black men and the attempt to control the amount of emotional labor men give to approved black women, okay. and that approved black women seems to shift. Or whether you're talking about age, weight, hair texture, skin color, yeah. uh, eye shape, uh, you know, body weight entirely, nationality. There are all these mm -hmm. different dimensions. And who gets approved and who doesn't becomes a huge issue because what, what tends to happen is I think in many ways black men are viewed kind of like um, uh, if we were to talk about home ownership and you talked about the equity in your mm -hmm. home, the, own you, the home you own, uh, who gets that equity? Right. Who gets to profit off of that black male? And, and who should who should be able to get that and who shouldn't. And there seems to be a great deal of inf a great deal of interest in making sure that black men's resources 
in terms of that emotional labor it, as it well as the material yeah. right it knows yeah. it is is tightly controlled and when you start to you don't even have to oppose it when you mm. just start to question why should i play out what i'm being pressured to perform mm. why don't i determine who i'm going to give that to based on uh how i feel about them in one respect but right. also how they treat me mm -hmm. when you start to raise those questions you see immediately an intense backlash mm -hmm. against black men who have decided to say, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to decide who I'm going to give my energy to. Yeah. And the irony is it could still be a black woman and you'll still get it if the if it's not approved of in a very particular way, because there's so many different ways you can cut that, right. that cake up. I mean, you, and I may be misunderstanding what you're No, saying. no, you, you're, uh, you see, this thing is still, I haven't still wrapped my mind around it yet. I, I'm still... Talking to you publicly, this is a conversation that, you know, when you're sitting in the, in, the, in the teacher's lounge or you're sitting in some laboratory somewhere or in the library or some room, this is like a think tank conversation because I'm really trying to get a better understanding of it. Here's another thing. Since you've mentioned that who you are allowed to give your uh, carry, who you're allowed to give your attention to, who you're um, who you're allowed to carry, uh, uh, whose emotional load you're allowed to get. Think about a very fit, slender woman. Mm -hmm. She's dark, light, whatever. Mm -hmm. But if mm -hmm. you have, and especially if she's young, mm -hmm. right? You got an under mm -hmm. 25 or under 29 year old woman who's slender mm -hmm. and fit and, you know, well kept. That's, you're going to be looked at, mm -hmm. especially if you're in a room full of women who are mm -hmm. obese, especially if she has natural hair, whether mm -hmm. she's dark or light. And it's mm -hmm. almost like they try to dictate. Yeah. Who, we, who 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 we whose load whose emotional load we can carry? Yeah. I, I I just find the whole idea fascinating. Now again, I'm looking at it on a macro level because you don't have to go in a room and tell each and every one of those African American women how to behave when you bring a woman who they don't find acceptable for you as a black man to have. Mm -hmm. It's almost like on cue. They know how to look at her sideways. <laughs> they they know how to come up with the jokes. Girl, you dress for the summer. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Look at that young girl. Uh, she <laughs> no, must be one of them OnlyFans uh, girls, something like that. I mean, but this is this is how nuanced it could be. Because uh, you just when you just uh, mm -hmm. described uh, her, you described my wife. Oh, I remember when I first was you know we first started to get serious. I introduced her to some female friends that I'd known for a long time. Mm -hmm. And and between there's about three of them. You know, one was one was extremely light. One was mm -hmm extremely dark. One was in the middle. Uh, a couple of them were larger size. You know, one was really thin. You know, you had all these dimensions, right? Among these yeah. women. They took one look at the woman I'm, you know, I was, I don't think I was engaged yet, but they took mm -hmm. one look at her and they had her. Now she was dark skinned. She was uh, slender. She yeah. had natural hair and she had a pretty smile. Okay. By all intents and purposes, she should have been acceptable. Right. right? She wasn't. Because she was young, she was pretty, and 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 she was she was fairly thin, and mm -hmm. most of all, she had an uplifting disposition. The girl would smile at you at, at the moment she saw you, even if she didn't know you. Mm -hmm. I was surprised oh, to find. Uh, appreciate that, brutally honest. Welcome to the Onyx Brotherhood. Um, I was surprised to find that they called her out, and they would make mm -hmm. fun of her, and they would tell her, you know, you're not a real sister because that's why. And and uh, they would come up with all of these different things. So I'm saying. There are so many different dimensions where we see, we see this, but the connecting fiber to mm -hmm. all of this is who you give your energy to and the extent to which you have a, tr a tradition in our community, in the gynocracy, 
uh, what I especially when what I refer to as the black gyno potential family structure, mm -hmm. where you're supposed to give your resources only to who's been approved by the network of women that you are owned by. You know, and 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 I want to let's. I got a I got a scenario for them that that might because a lot of ladies are going to be looking at it and they're not going to be here talking about. So, ladies, I want you to listen to me, and fellas, you listen to me too. So, uh, your boyfriend says uh, he's sitting in the car, right? He's been there for like twenty minutes talking on the phone. You don't know who he's talking to, right? You know he likes to talk to his mother. He likes to talk to his sister. Whatever. You're cool with that. Now you go knock on the window and say, "Hey, I need you to go to the store and get some eggs and some honey buns and some diapers." And who are you talking to? Come to find <laughs> out, he's talking to a friend of his from school. Okay. Right. Or, or better yet, an ex-girlfriend who he's still cool with. Mm -hmm. Now he's not providing her any money. He's not mm -hmm. providing her any protection. Mm -hmm. He's just, she's apparently just father has just died. Mother's just died. And he's basically bearing that emotional load. How many of you women would find that acceptable? Mm. Right. Probably little to none of you would find that acceptable because you don't want him bearing her emotional load. Mm -hmm. That's not acceptable. I think that's a, an example of men bearing an emotional load when it's, when it's, <laughs> I, I, he's out of bounds. Basically, he's about. Mm. You, you, you see what I'm saying with that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and so, so that is, or fellas, you wouldn't even dream about it. your your phone rings and come to find out it's your baby mama and she's complaining about her new boyfriend, uh, <laughs> you know, cheating on her with some other guy, and your girlfriend is right there. Do you think <laughs> that? How long does that phone call last? How uncomfortable are you? talking to your ex-girlfriend who has your child, right? You okay about what her new boyfriend did and broke her heart. You you going you going to have that conversation with your right. new girlfriend right, right. there? No, right. you're not allowed to carry that emotional load, sir. You going to be like you like, "Ooh, ooh, I'm going to get back to playing these videos." Okay, I'll let you play. It that. don't even need to go that far, man. I've been cussed out just because an ex texted me. Right. Like, I didn't even know she was texting. She just texted. I, and I'm getting right. cussed out like I, I have some kind of affair going on. Yeah. So when these ladies say, oh, you men are not there for us emotionally. Oh, yes, we are. And on top of that, we're there for you emotionally. And you don't want us to be there for other women emotionally. Unless right. it's maybe our mamas. But then what happens to men oh. who carries their mother's emotional oh. load too much? Oh. What are women? How do they shame you out of oh. talking to your, you a mama's boy? You always up under there under her skirt. You need to break that. You need to be a real man. So you don't want us carrying the emotional load of our mothers. It's there, ladies. And that's just on an individual level. And, and like I said before, you get angry with black men when we start telling you stuff like, baby, you need to lose at least 120 pounds or grow five feet because you are heavily overweight. You expect us to hold that. You expect us to not say anything about it. So it's true. Don't try to dismiss this. Don't get mad. We we know what's happening. But she can, doctor. She, Go ahead, doctor. She can tell you that you need to increase your income. Oh, yeah. You need to you need to you need to make over a hundred thousand more than you make. She can tell you that. Mm -hmm. Or she can tell look, I've seen it where she, on the first meeting, she can tell you, well, when we do get together, my money is my money and your money is our money. Ooh. Oh my the audacity of that. Yes, Lord. 
I've, uh, never, I've never seen a man say, well, here's how this is going to go. My penis is mine and for whatever I want to use it for. And, yeah. you know, your parts are, you know, strictly for me. That dynamic <laughs> in and that most men, you, that's not even a conversation you hear about being commonly had. But the reverse of it is far is far more acceptable. So yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get brothers both individually and collectively to yeah. actually take stock of the resources that they they liberally right. extend on a regular basis because we've not been taught to appreciate what we extend. Mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm. now I'm not saying don't provide it. I'm not saying don't engage. I'm saying you choose, but take stock. Step back yeah. and look at what you actually bring, and 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 just assess. You know, and this is one of the things that. In the last few years, I've come to value because there wasn't we didn't have conversations about sexual marketplace value when I was no, no. I never heard of the concept. You know no. what I mean? All I knew was, you know, as a teenager to a young adult, the only time women really paid attention to me is if I was a, there was a sexual role I could play in their life. But then mm. when you cross 35, 40, all of a sudden you start getting different kinds of women coming at you. With a whole different list of expectations. <laughs> right, and right. If you're successful in any measure, you, you're yeah. just like, well, what, what is this? Mm-hmm. Shout out to the Roger <laughs> Report. Thanks for having you in here. Shout out to Roger Report, man. What's happening, brother? <laughs> so the dynamic shifts, you know, and that's one of the things you know that I never expected, you know, because yeah. I still saw myself the same way at uh, 35 that I saw myself at 17, but the social environment changed and what I could provide changed. And so all of a sudden, the way women were approaching me changed mm-hmm. and nobody told me why or how I, I picked up some elements, but I didn't have the full picture. So we start really looking at sexual marketplace value. I'm trying to tell men, you actually have a number of things that aren't even discussed that should be part of your assessment, yeah. your self-assessment. But you're, now you're but you're interested in taking this in, yeah. in a more of a, a, a macro kind of framework, which is yeah. what I'm. I I, I, I want to, but I I think it's important that the men understand on an individual level what they give because, okay, so, so let's, let's try this. And you had a young man, Marcus Aurelius, and he gave a great scenario. He talked about a a lady friend of his who called Mm -hmm. and he said, he basically had to sit on the phone and listen to her and cajole her. And yeah, that's okay. And I understand. And how does that make you feel? And yeah, and I understand that is so emotionally draining. Yes, it is. And you don't even want to do you want to lay down at that point. Yeah. You know, you want to lay down and go to sleep after you don't want to play video games, basketball, football. It's so emotionally draining. Fellas, you know that conversation that you have. And and this uh, shout out to all the men who juggle multiple women. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you deal. With those good morning text messages, and, hey babies, I don't know how you remember all their names and their birthdays, bro. I I'm good with one woman. All these dudes talk about we need multiple wives to save the black community, bro. You on your own, bro. This the one I got. I'm cool with, okay? Because I got other stuff I'm thinking about, and then I'm like, hey baby, how you doing? Because I want to keep the cooking happy. You see what I'm saying? I'm not used to having a woman cooking, and it's nice, and so. In exchange for the cooking that I'm getting, and my lady will tell you, I love the cooking. Everything else, hey, you're beautiful, you're young. I like the cooking myself because that's the only thing I can't get 
when <laughs> when I'm by myself is some good home cooked food. It's, um, Uncle D is real simple. Feed me. I'm a big man. I'm, I'm, I, I like to eat. You cook good. We friends forever. And you you got a good personality, right? Funny. Oh hell, yeah. We gonna get married. That's why she got that big rock. But but what I'm saying, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I don't think men appreciate mm-hmm. what they're actually giving. No. It's draining. Having to do, women have to go to therapy. They had they, like think about the, the the psychiatrists and the psychologists that need their own therapist because they're listening to other people dump that emotional load on them every day. Right. You see what I'm saying? And 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 so until you guys re- recognize what you're actually having to do, it, it's it's hard for you to begin to change. It's hard for you to begin to say, hey, as a group now, mm-hmm. this is what you're doing because you yes. because they need to recognize on an individual level what they're doing first. Right. Right. And and, and see, the, the other dimension I would add to that is I want to see men actually prioritize themselves, take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Look, I got boys that will tell you about the new car they bought or the mm-hmm. new trip they bought, you know, trip they took or whatever, or the new mm-hmm. clothes they bought or whatever. Let me tell you, I just bought a walk-in tub. Yeah, yeah. It just got installed. I ain't used it yet. It just uh-huh. We just finished installing it today. Right. Do you understand when I get out of this show tonight, I'm about to sleep in that tub tonight. But my my point, though, is that right. it had never dawned on me when I thought about things that I wanted in the world for years. It was things uh, that that it, and I hadn't processed it this way, but it was things that were not only appealing to women, but mm-hmm. in a low key kind of way would benefit women, whether it was a car, or house or whatever. It was always in service to appealing to women. I didn't really, I never really stepped out and said, you know what, I'm going to do this for me. I want black men to know themselves well enough to say, you know what, I enjoy smoking cigars. I'm actually going to take X amount of time out a week or a month to go to a cigar shop and enjoy a cigar. I want to go if I like taking a trip, you know, especially to a certain country and I enjoy being there. It's not about appealing to other people and making it look good on social media. I want to go because I enjoy it. I want you to do it. If it's a bathtub, I don't care what it is, but I want us to be able to prioritize ourselves enough to to to, to actually make that part of the equation. Because I don't think we know how to. I really don't. I don't, I don't think so. Um, and 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 we owe it to ourselves. It's that one of those ways you can relax and dump that off. And, and you know, it's, you know, men take we we don't we're not typically allowed to distribute our emotional load to women. You can't mm. go and tell your woman. Mm. You had mm. a hard day at the job. You can't mm. tell that your boss might fire you. Mm. you. You have to take it all in, which is probably why we die of stress. Yes. You know, probably why we have heart issues and, yes. and those sort of things. So yes. if you guys don't believe the emotional load yes. is the real thing, go go ask your doctor, you know, about mm. internalizing all that, those emotions, stress, and not letting it out. Um, but the thing is, Doc, and, and I think now we've laid the foundation for that. Uh, 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 they've we've established what the emotional love uh, on an individual level, on mm-hmm. a macro level. Like, okay. what do you see? What do we? What do men in general carry? Uh, as far as the emotional load for women in general, greater society subsect. What What are your thoughts? What, what you've had about a week to think about it. What What do you think? <laughs> well, I mean, I think we see it on a lot of different levels, man. I mentioned earlier whether you were talking about welfare. Whether you're talking about education, like one of the things we've seen in the last uh, 50 years is this prioritization of women going to college. What mm-hmm. we've seen in the last year 
right? Where we start to see these philanthropic organizations that are developing mm. programs to train black women. There's been no mention of black men. No. We saw programs designated for helping people during the pandemic, helping small mom and pop businesses advance. They actually developed some for black women. There was no mention of small uh, mm. entrepreneurial uh, programs for black men. There was none. I mean, so we provide this on a variety of levels, institutionally, in terms of policy, right? There, there, we have, look, we have, we have so many structures in place that uh, we, and we purely define this materially, but we don't often think about, even on, think about the emotional level that that provides for on a societal basis. Mm-hmm. How comfortable does a woman feel when she knows if she's poor, she yeah. can get welfare. If she's middle class, she can get a wow. college education and a white collar uh, a job. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Those are those are resources that are set for her. For black uh, women, you know, if you lose yeah. your job, look, I, I'll put it to you this way: I've never met a brother that mm-hmm. couldn't easily think of, this, of the of the couple of things that would need to happen to send him sleeping under a bridge. Mm-hmm. Every man that I've ever met and had this conversation with can 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 tell you in two steps what can happen. That would have him sleeping under a bridge. Yeah. yeah. We never lose sight of that because there are no networks. There's no safety net in place for black men. Mm-mm. None. So when we talk about this emotional labor and the dimension of it that applies to the society, we see it all the time. Right. We just don't process it that way. But we do know ain't nobody, you know, providing any kind of labor for us. Man, Doc, you you, you hit something there. So Okay, guys. So men have a uh, tax burden Uh-oh. that pays for us and the women and children in the society. Oh, women basically pay less taxes than they're worth because the jobs they do Uh-oh. really don't provide that sort of tax burden. Uh, they they don't they don't carry their own tax burden. There's the issue going on in South Korea right now. You got a bunch of flowers, uh, florists, and whatnot, and they need. They're running out of money over there because these women are basically a burden on the system. Mm. So, I, and if I can, Doc, and, and I'm going to I'm going to say what you said mm. in, in my way, uh, my terms. Mm. Basically, the doctor's saying they tax men, they tax the hell out of us, so that they can afford welfare, EBT cards, what else is stuff, what are, Section Eight and all this other stuff. So women know if everything goes to hell in a handbasket they're still going to be all right. So that provides you some that 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 provides you some emotional uh comfort mm-hmm. that you know that you'll never be out on the street. Matter of fact, more than likely nobody'll ever let a woman be on the street in a cold storm. If she's a, a woman older, younger, somebody's going to pick her up. But the government taxes men so that you don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Look, that is the emotional load that, and it's literally Coming out of our pockets. That is it's literally, well, literally you know, something you can quantify. And I want to I want to ask you, I want to ask you to include this because you have intimate knowledge of it. Talk about the role that family court plays mm. in emotional labor. Oh my. Well, women pretty much know when they walk in family court they have an advantage. And more likely than not, they're gonna win. And they're mm. gonna pretty much get what they're gonna. So they can have a child out of wedlock, knowing that if they got a man who has a few dollars in his pocket, they're gonna get that support from him. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, they're more likely not gonna get their children. So they don't have the issues with having children these days that men have, because they get a chance to keep the children. As mm-hmm. far as family court, I mean, 
I would love to be able to walk in the court every time I go and know that I'm going to win. Mm. It's like mm. having contributed ten or fifteen thousand dollars to the judge, mm. and all the jury looks like you, mm. uh, at the DA or whoever opposing counsel is your golfing buddy. Y'all mm. went to college together. You, you—that's how women should feel when they go to family court. Yes, you, you see, and and what does that do? To, now, on the flip side, how do men feel when they go mm. to family court? A family court that they more than likely paid for with their tax dollars. Think about it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's, I mean, it, it's, it, you can tell how biased it is because when you hear about a man actually winning a positive judgment, they're surprised. <laughs> right. He's yeah. surprised, let alone anybody else that hears about yeah. it. And you know who's more surprised than anybody? You ever see those videos where, where it happens? You look at her face. Oh, yeah. When she lost. He got let him. He gets possession of the children. That's that's almost unheard of. Oh man, you know? yeah, uh, it, it's just it's just an or, or she gets convicted for domestic violence. As violent as well, I don't want to say that because you know YouTube is funky, but we know that it's not a one way street. And in yeah. fact, there's some studies that say it's the lovely ladies doing more of it than the men. It's just yeah, the women, and and so now. They, they initiate first more mm -hmm. often than not. They use weapons more often than not. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I would argue that many go into it with a kind of entitlement because yeah. we've not grown up in a culture where we've seen women held accountable by law for yeah. physically their, their physical relations with other people in terms of the, what they physically do to other folks, particularly mm -hmm. men. We've not grown up in a culture where we've seen them collectively held accountable, but we've seen men collectively yeah. held accountable. And now, with the with the advent of Me Too, there's now a push where men are now sexually accountable in a way they've never had to be. And and you, there are arguments on both sides of the, of the line as far mm -hmm. as that. But here's the thing: we've yeah. never seen women held accountable for their sexual behavior in the right. same kind of way. So it's interesting to see how these one kind of one sided dynamics play out. Yeah, I mean, well, Doc, you know, I think the first step in in, in what we're doing is 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 laying this out so men can understand. And I think that's that's the benefit of, of, of social media. You you can have a, a doctor on the East Coast talking to a lawyer down South, both black men, both fathers with the same experiences, comparing notes, not only their life experiences, but also using their education, uh, you know, <laughs> to, to kind of hash this out so folks can really understand, you know. Yeah. This this is a conversation that you know between you and I that couldn't be public yeah. twenty five years ago, and so oh, man. yeah, man. If I'd have heard this twenty five years ago, I might be where you are, man. <laughs> you figured out the game much earlier than. <laughs> hey, man. I'm, I'm a, I'll be forty eight this year, so I'm I'm just right. now figuring That's it right. out. Yeah, so. Uh, but yeah, shout out, look, Doctor Ron O'Neill's here. Shout out to Doctor Neil. That's man. right. What's up, Doc? Good yeah. to have you in here, man. Yeah, man. So what do we do going forward, Doc? I mean, how do we, because uh, what do we do here? What, what do we do with this information? How do we package it and give it to men so that they can use it in their lives? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think we have to push, um, and it will be uncomfortable, but actually mm -hmm. push men to, to not only take stock, but to find value in themselves. And we also now addressing that individually, but also in a collective fashion, can mm -hmm. we actually do the same as a collective? And black men 
be a resource to black men. Okay. It's a question that has to be asked because as I said earlier, there's no, there's no safety net for us. Right. At all. So is there a way that that can happen? Can I call attorney Sperling and get legal advice uh, about a situation? Can he call me and say, you know, I need help with a paper or whatever. I mean, is there, is, is there, is there a dynamic where, or even it can be even something a little more subtle than that. Can I call you and say, Hey man, I'm having some trouble uh, trying to understand what exactly is going on with my relationships. Can you give me mm-hmm. some insight from your own experiences, you know, or mm-hmm. does it have to remain some type of competition? The point I'm trying to get to is I want brothers to take stock, actually see the value that they bring to the table, right. prioritize their own health and well-being, and not just physical health. Because some of us can be in the gym and that is great. But but when you start talking about, you know, other types of, of health, other types of healing, mm-hmm. other types of taking care of ourselves, we look at you blankly because we don't right. necessarily know how to do that. Can yeah. we actually appreciate who we are, what we do, and do so individually and collectively? And I think if we can do that, it changes the political conversation we're having. So, you know, because that's what we've been doing uh, in my on my channel. We've been doing in different sections of YouTube for the last yeah. couple of years. We created the, the black male political agenda. Now, I'm I'm 47 myself. I'll be 48 mm-hmm. this year as well. In my lifetime, I have never seen a political agenda that actually identifies the struggles, issues and possible solutions for what black men endure never seen it i don't i don't think you ever will i mean I, I hate to say it like that but you know i don't consider myself part of the manosphere because you know, that's something that other folks invented that they have a lock on that i'm a married well i was a married man i got kids um you know about to get married again so i don't fit, fit some of the tenants but there are some great concepts in there and mm-hmm. one of them has to do with female nature Mm-hmm. They're not going to struggle like we struggle, Doc. Mm-hmm. They're not going to do if you put women and and I okay, I'm a sexist. I'm gonna be the chauvinist right now. Mm-hmm. All right. T- tell me I'm lying though. If women had to deal with the pressure that men have to deal with, they would all be under a bridge. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not I'm not talking mm-hmm. about, oh, I gotta get up and I gotta be at work at 8:30 and I gotta work there till four o'clock, five o'clock, mm-hmm. and come home and pick up the kids. No, you have got to jump off of this boat with a hundred other men and there are people shooting at you from Mm. the beach. And about 25% of you are going to die before you get to the water, okay? And then after you finish fighting that war, you got to come home and work in a plant Mm. about 12 hours a day, every day, for the rest of your life. You might get cancer, you you might have kids, you got to pay for those kids and a wife. She might divorce you. You might end up living in your car. There's so many things that bad that can happen to you. Or you end up working in a coal mine. You mm. know you're going to get black tar disease. Mm. But you still got to do it anyway. If women had to endure the physical mm-hmm. trauma and late. And here's another thing. You got to deal with men for the rest of your life. Where <laughs> there is always a slight chance of violence that mm. can pop off anywhere. From the, from the baseball field to the to the to the courtroom to the boardroom, I don't think women can deal with the stress that men can deal with. I don't think they're built for it. And so that we've all, if we want to have a society, <laughs> if we want to have a productive society, we're going to have to shelter women. Mm. We're going to have to do it, or otherwise they are not. They'll all be under the bridge. 
Mm. Man, we got it. We know we're going to end up under the bridge. It keeps a fire under your proverbial, uh, uh, you know, but right. And so it, it's what keeps us going because there's no bottom there. Mm. If you have men who know that there's a safety net and, and doc, I, I mean, shut me down, please tell me you, you're, you're, <laughs> you're misandrous. You please shut me down. But from what I've noticed, what I see is that women are not going to do it. They they would rather roll over and 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 die. Mm. Okay? They would rather they they're not going to fight back like men. They're not going to struggle and suffer when it gets real hard. They're not going to do it. They're going to fall apart. They are. It's not going to happen. That's why women have such a hard time when they go to prison. Mm. That's why they have a hard time when they're isolated when they're alone. That's mm. when I. That's why you got so many women who are alone or on meds right now because they're trying to live like men have been living and it's not working out for them. Tell me I'm wrong. I want to well, be I, I, I want to be wrong in that, but I don't think women can handle the stress. And that's why society puts that 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 safety net underneath them. My I put it, I put it to you this way because I know you got to go, and I really appreciate mm-hmm. you taking the time to be here. But I yeah. put it to you this way: the fact that we don't even have the prisons built. Uh. If we actually, you know, because women get sentenced 65% less for the same crimes as men. Mm-hmm. If we actually held women to the same standard we hold men, right. we do not have the physical prisons in no. place to lock women up. No. So not only are they not ready for it, society is not ready for it. But it, it, look, counselor, I, mm-hmm. I really appreciate you being here. I know mm-hmm. you got a, a list of things to do, man. I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Uh, tell people before you go, uh, when they can catch your next show, when you broadcast, and if they haven't been there, how to get to your YouTube channel. You can find, just type in Dennis Sperling Unfiltered, and I pop up. I got probably maybe 600 videos up. You can go through the catalog. I try to put a fresh one up every weekday. Uh, I've literally dedicated uh, time out of my day to do this YouTube thing, as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my schedule is it's it things happen i had to drop out of my phd program and get back to litigating cases but mm. you know because of this uh pandemic that we're in i have a lot of time i work from home i've developed new ways to do it you know and instead of just using this computer setup for zoom work uh you know and in cases and whatnot i'm i'm able to 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 do this broadcast it's something i kind of stumbled across but you guys can catch me midday. You know, they, they, the brothers call me Uncle D. Other people call me the Blizzard King. <laughs> <laughs> they said, uh, you know, uh, you know, if winter is coming, I'm the Blizzard King. I'm ushering it in because, you know, I'm I preach a liberation doctrine to men. You are free. This world belongs to you. To you. You are free to do whatever you want to do. It's specifically black men. You've given enough to this country. You've given it enough to people. You've given enough to everybody. You're free now. And I want to see you enjoy your lives. I want you to figure out what it is God wants you to do and go do it. That That's my thing. And and and, and I wish somebody had told me that long ago. And, right. and once you do that, and once you realize that you own yourself and no one owns you, if you then decide to come back to America and set up roots, marry a woman, whatever color she may be, black, black, white, I don't care. I just want you to find peace of mind and happiness. That's my main thing. Because see, here's the thing, Doc. It's important for me to look out for other black men because I got to live next door to them. Yeah. And what you don't want is an unhappy black man, mm-hmm. you know, uh, living next door to you or around you or, or dealing with your daughter 
or 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 or, or, or interacting with his kids, interacting with your kids at school. So it's incumbent upon all of us to try to teach teach brothers how to work these issues out. But yeah, you can find me at Dennis Sperling Unfiltered. I got a great, it's like a frat house over there sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> like a lion's den. I focus on talking to guys, me and the guys, we got off. It's it's a great time over there, you know, and I enjoy it. It's invigorating. I got a great, we got crips, bloods, cops, robbers. We got drug dealers. We got lawyers. We got everybody. Everybody's on my page. Everybody's welcome, you know, and uh, everybody has input. So, you know, you guys are welcome. Come to Dennis Sperling Unfiltered. And that, that's it, man. They, they, hey, man. He is in the house, baby. That's right. <laughs> I appreciate you coming up, man. All right, Doc. Thank right. you so much. Thank you. Thank All you. right. So shout out to my guest for tonight, Brother Sarah and uh, Attorney Dennis Sperling. I appreciate the dialogue. I hope you guys got something out of it. Uh, at the end of the day, man, I just want you to value yourselves. Because damn sure it's very, you know, it's a very small chance that others are going to do it. So we need to do it for ourselves. And the, and the reality is when you do it for yourself, you won't tolerate less from anybody else. Because at the end of the day, you know you're good. Whether somebody's standing with you, whether you got 10 people standing with you, or whether you're standing on your own. And every man knows that there's a time in life, a season, uh, and there are multiple seasons, in fact, where you will have to stand on your own. But if you can develop contentment and, and, and happiness standing on your own, being at peace with yourself, you won't tolerate anything less than peace. And I'm not a relationship expert. It's not my lane, but I do want brothers to be able to find that space because there's so many distractions in the community, outside of the community that really seek to make sure we don't find it. Whether, you know, it, but at the end of the day, you can choose to do so. So y'all have a good night. I appreciate you supporting the Onyx Report. I look forward to uh, putting up some, some more content very soon. And I will talk to y'all later. I am here to tell you, brothers, we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man-children, sperm donors, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, unintelligent henchmen, valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic and selfish and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace. Thank you.